pretty sorry looking wagon you got there, mister. I reckon you could use a coat of paint. Well, what are we waiting for? Gonna paint our wagon, gonna paint it good. We ain't bragging, we're gonna coat that wood. We're gonna paint that wagon, we're gonna paint it good. What the hell is going on in my town? We're just painting this wagon. You got a problem with that? As a matter of fact, I do. You missed a spot. Well, grab a brush and join in. Gonna paint your wagon. Gonna paint it fine. Gonna use oil-based paint, cause the wood is pine. Hello, Batman Universe listeners. I am Josh, and joining me is... This is Donovan. And we are back at you with some more convention coverage, covering San Diego Comic-Con 2018. We sure are. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are. You may be be saying to yourself, but Don and Josh, isn't that usually Stella's responsibility? You've got some nerve listeners. Well... Stella decided that, you know, uh, when Stella bought her ticket to Comic-Con, there was a mix-up at the airport, and it took her to Kenya instead. What an embarrassing situation. So Don and I were left all by our lonesome selves, and you know what that means. Swinging bachelor parties with groovy chicks. And, uh, <laughs> right. no, and no Stella to keep us in check. Yeah, she wasn't around to, to, to bombing us, so we went, up, we went out on our own and had wild and crazy adventures, and you get to listen to those now. <laughs> exactly. So uh, um, this was, yeah, this was a bit of a different year because, you know, we, this was our first time being there without Stella since 2011. We have not done, like, a San Diego without her. Um, so it was... Her presence was missed, but we made up for it with lots of crazy adventures. Starting on Wednesday when we landed and uh, immediately decided to watch Supergirl. So uh, I had never seen it until uh, the flight. I watched it on we the flight. We should say Supergirl 1984, not the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I promise you I've seen the show, despite Stella teasing me um, last year. <laughs> Yeah, so we landed, um, got to our hotel, you know, and we had a few hours to kill before PB night. And there was, I saw that there was going to be a Supergirl, um, 1984, like, movie press events and panel. And I was like, well, that should be fun. I'll meet Helen Slater and Mark McClure and stuff. So let me actually watch the, um, you know, the movie, because I had never actually seen it. And I watched it on the plane, and I was like, this is kind of kitschy, but this is really horrible. So, like, when I landed, I was like, dog. I just saw this stupid movie. We have to watch it at the hotel. And I put it on, and, like, I was like, oh, I'll watch the beginning of it. But then, like, we watched the whole thing, because at one point I turned the dom, and I was like, if you want to go to dinner, we can. He says, no, I'm I'm this deep in. Either the movie wins or I do. I'm sticking this <laughs> up. Do you remember yeah, that movie? That? I got to say, oh, I do. And I got to say that, like, um, having a very neutral opinion of the Superman films, I, mean, I, I like, you know, from what I've seen generally, like, this movie is not very good. I don't think. I think that like um, Helen Slater uh, gives an earnest performance, but 
generally, I, I saw like you know weekend first draft all all the way through, and then Zaltar, and I, just, I watch it with, watch it with some friends and beers if you want to enjoy it because it's it's not a very serious film. <laughs> the best line of the movie: "There's no way out, but there's always a way out." There is a way out. Uh... <laughs> or like Supergirl uh, has to go like save her planets. Otherwise, like everyone will die. So she like goes to find the thing to save her planet. But instead, like BS is like for like 70 percent of the movie with like love triangles and like going to school for some reason. And <sighs> And she knows everything about Clark Kent, even though she's on another planet and, like, has we've never seen her meet Superman. It, 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 <laughs> she knows all about him because she's watched the mil- films. <laughs> yeah, they have the Christopher Reed movies in Candor. So that's Supergirl, but actually the convention, you know. Uh, yeah. So Stella may have betrayed us and abandoned us at Comic-Con, but, you know, we know who will always be for there for us. Our restaurant, Hard Rock, that we've been going to. You know, like, when we land on Wednesday, that's almost like our tradition that, like, we'll go there, like, you know. On I, I can imagine there's been a single year we've not done that. Yeah. Well, you don't have to imagine <laughs> anymore. <laughs> we show up in a place that's burned to the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't have signed. You shouldn't have signed it, Fisk. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it was like, is it here? Wait, do we pass it? Wait, it is here. Like, what happened to it? Yeah, the Uber driver dropped us off. See you guys, and we're like, "What? Our restaurant? Come back!" <laughs> uh, we walked around like confused for like a few blocks. Like, where do we eat? What do we do? Like, like I can't believe it. Um, if your friends are for on our personal Facebook pages, uh, there's like a picture of us like screaming into the air, like "No!" And then like people are commenting, "Where's yeah. Stella?" Yeah, where's Stella? <laughs> She's running away with the can of gasoline. That's what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, she did this. <laughs> she, it was all her. Um, so we got to, but preview night, uh, we got to the convention center, and uh, right off the bat, um, we went to the WB booth, and this was really cool. Like, we've never actually been able to, like, go to the little upstairs, you know, VIP lounge and the WB booth, but we were invited this year because we had an interview with um, – Warner Brothers marketing executive Lisa Gregorian. Yeah, this is pretty cool, and and like I, this this helped start the feeling of being official early on, um, yeah. because it was a, it was a preview night, uh, it was it was WB official, and we, we it was a pretty lengthy interview, like, like not not like you know the longest ever, but like you know we were I didn't feel rushed, I didn't feel like you know okay there's people waiting in line, I, I felt it felt like we it felt like um, TB was really being treated as exclusive, which, 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 which yeah. is Yeah, <laughs> we went past this velvet rope, like, like, and this is not, like, one of our exaggerated, like, Stella burned down a restaurant stories, like, <laughs> we were let, we were let past, like, a velvet rope, like, upstairs, it was, it, it was nice, and it gave us a great view of the convention center, which, uh, actually, may, maybe I'll send that to Dustin to be the album art for this episode, if you're listening to this and that's not the album art, then... Tweet at Dustin and tell him that oh, he has like, failed like the, this one city. Me, one of you and me, like, like, because uh, that's my cover art on, on Facebook. Like, the one of you and me yeah. in front of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan DiDio did not take that picture on like uh, last year's. <laughs> so, but that was a fun interview with uh, Lisa Gregorian, and here it is now. So, just before we get into like the business aspect of yeah. things, you know, like. Um, we're all here because at our core we're fans, and I know that you're a fan too because I uh, 
you know, I did some read up on you. You had an Archie ruler, you know, or when you were Oh my god, I was an Archie fan club member. Oh, when did I ever talk about that? It was in an interview that you did with someone else uh, here okay. a, few, a few years ago because okay. I was like, and uh, yeah, did, did you keep all that ruler and stuff I like that? I did, I should have. It would be worth it. Yeah. And, as a, <laughs> and as an Archie fan, you know, obviously, you know, with Riverdale being very, very huge and going into season three, that's a big deal. And now we have Sabrina. So how excited are you with all of that? It's amazing. Um... Riverdale is, we're so happy. First of all, we love the actors on that show. They're lovely. They're amazing. The storytelling is great. It's just a really fantastic show at a moment in time when we needed a show like that. Um, and Serena is terrific. Different, but Great. You know what? Riverdale was different too. So Correct. you know, exactly. and, and, and it worked. It, it took me a little while to adjust. That it wasn't like the comic, but like, then I were talking about. I was like, I don't know. it's kind of hooked. You know, like, you know, the, especially this. The creators season. are just genius. They are genius, yeah. and they're amazing storytellers. They develop really good characters, and they do it in a way that every season really has a beginning, middle, and end, and you feel satisfied. Keeps you wanting to tune into what's uh -huh. next and everything like that too. There was a, a very recent announcement about a Batwoman series, in addition to the Arrow series, Flash, Legends Tomorrow, Supergirl, yep. Black Lightning, Riverdale, uh, and now it's Sabrina. Um, is there a regular pattern in terms of ideas to throw up for when new series come out, or is it just like whatever seems good? Because I know she's appearing in, in Arrow first, so is it like is there a every year let's try to pitch a new series, or how does that work? No, I, it it really is. A lot of it is very organic and authentic to the process. Mm -hmm. What characters are you not seeing on television? What stories are not being told? And from there, it's, you know, Greg Berlanti and the teams across all of the CW shows really figuring out what stories need to be told. Absolutely. And Batwoman, as you know, is an LGBTQ character. Yes. Yeah, no, that's, um, when I heard that she was even coming to the crossover this year, I was like, and I hope that they do a show out of that, because that would be really interesting thing, especially because, you know, how good the comics are, and now, on the con side of things, how is it, uh, the decision making for what shows you guys bring here, you know, and getting all of those ducks in a row, because obviously there's a lot of shows, and not all of them can make it this year, uh, for example, uh, Titans, which is, you know, right. done filming, uh, there's nothing with that this year, Gotham, they haven't started filming yet, and I know that it was back and forth if they were going to come or right. not, so... How does, how does that decision process work with which shows you're going to bring and not bring? So, um, with the shows that we're going to bring, they have to meet the criteria of being based in comics or mythology. We don't do what a lot of, a, a lot of other distributors and networks will do, which is bring down a show that's a pop culture show. For us, we have, a, you know, a series of criteria because we produce a, a dozens and dozens of shows um, and really producers want to come down. It's just whether or not we feel it fits the fandom. When it, with regards to Gotham, um, we'll be at New York Comic Con. It makes more sense for us with the timing of the show and the same thing for Titans. Okay. So Titans will be at New York Comic Con? We're hoping. Okay. Alright. Is there any We haven't announced that but we're hoping that they'll be there. Is there the any, timing uh, makes sense because we've already said the Titans will be a fall show. Right. Um, is there any? There's not any pressure to like 
uh, on the show to get content out for the next uh, promotional tour or like a convention? Is it always like kind of like on their own schedule, or is it like whatever you think was it's best to get the, the best time to get the word out? Comic Con for us is the perfectly timed convention because the new series and the returning series have been identified by the networks in May. And then by July, the writers' rooms have started. So even if they're, this year they happen to be in production, but even if they haven't, we have enough of an idea of what's going to happen in the next season that we can tease it. So for us, in television, it makes total sense. It doesn't always make sense for everyone. Sure. And you guys, how many conventions do you guys, you know, go to each year? Um, it depends on the year. So, like, this year we went to South By. Um, we, it, it really depends on what we've got going on, what shows would be available, what makes sense, uh, when we're promoting it. But we, we attend Comic-Con every year. That we're committed to. Oh, oh yeah. Which, and then my follow-up question to that is, how much time and prep goes into this convention versus the other As one? soon as we're done here, we're planning for next year. <laughs> And how long have you been in San Diego, you know, this, like, a, a week preparing for this, 10 days? So, a lot of our staff got here a week ago. I got here yesterday. Um, but a lot of it is built before we get here. <laughs> and how long are you here when it's over? Um, I leave on Sunday. <laughs> Most of us take vacation next week. We've yeah, had some, after we've had this, some really long go. hours. And what are the biggest challenges, you know, with getting everything here together in San Diego, scheduling all those shows, all those press rooms, getting all the talents, you know, here, dealing with multiple publicists and press requests. Coordinating it? Oh yeah, it's a tremendous effort to coordinate it. You can imagine flights and also production schedules. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. So they have to be released at certain times and then we have to work on flights and cars and everything, hotels. Yeah. And then it's a challenge to actually move the talent around San Diego to get them to all of the press hits that they need to do. Yeah, with all the traffic and then the, fans. the people traffic, yeah, the, right. the fans, you know, heading them off and stuff like that, too. You talked uh, a couple of minutes ago about shows that have not been on the air, shows that you're thinking of, you know, what's new that we can bring to it. Batwoman is a prime example. And it, and it occurred to me that, like, uh, when it comes to, like, the CWDC shows, there are incredibly diverse, uh, racially, um, sexually, orientally. Um, so is that, I would say, like, the guiding uh, motivation for these shows, but is that, like, would you say, like, that, does that take place over, like, you know, which character is popular, like, just doing a flat Superman show? I, honestly, it's Greg Berlanti is the greatest television producer that we've ever seen. I mean, he really is. He's just... He's amazing and a genius and a shining light and so much of the diversity and the vision that you see for DC TV is really because of him. And earlier this year, you know, you guys did kind of an offbeat, you know, uh, convention, DC and DC 2018. Um, I went to that. That was the best convention. You went. Oh, God. Yay. Yeah. That was... Okay. I'm so excited that you went. I oh, tried, yeah. I wasn't able to do it. Okay. And I, I just gave him just so much grief over that. Like, for weeks afterwards, I was like, honestly, this was, like, the best experience of my life. So, uh, 
are we doing okay. it again? I don't know. Um, it was a dream. That was a personal yeah. dream. Um, that that to, was to do that. Very special. It was really special. I don't know if we could ever pull that off again. Um, we would love to. We just feel that there are so many underserved fans around the country in so many markets and you know comic-con is great and we love it and it's amazing and we love seeing the fans but there are fans all over this country and so we created the container the dc container so that we could travel anywhere and we started with dc and dc we created the event comic books have always represented such a um an integral part of reflecting American society that we really wanted to express that and um, and no better place to do it than certainly the museum and Washington DC um, and it's interesting because like with Riverdale and Sabrina it's not strictly it's comic based but it's not strictly um, you know superhero based it's not capes yeah exactly um, Recently, DC has kind of uh, gotten in with uh, more Warner Brothers' own content, like Scooby-Doo, like the Hanna Barbera uh, uh, characters. Uh, I'm sure if there's anything in development, you probably couldn't tell us. But is there any eye towards moving those to a broader format, like a television series on the CW, in terms of like uh, the more uh, WB-owned uh, Hanna Barbera stuff? Uh, stay tuned. Okay. Like just. There'll be a number of announcements over the next uh, few days about other things that we've got going on, whether they're for the CW or not, and I think you'll uh, you'll be you'll be pleased. Yeah, nice surprises, yeah. Suggestion for if it winds up happening, okay. DC and DC 2019. You know, um, it was a great way in 2018 to launch Black Lightning, yeah, to launch Batwoman because that's you got the True. subject matter and stuff True. like that too. Because I like how they tied it into you know the event into not just comic-based panels, but, you know, social issues. Like, and that you know, was really important to us. Feminism, LGBTQ, mm-hmm. and race stuff. So with Batwoman, dealing with the various yep. issues there. I just don't know if we'd go back to D.C. because I do think that there's underserved communities throughout the country. And, you know, being able to go to those locations means a lot to us. Got to come up with a name that has the same zing, but yeah. you guys are in marketing. You'll exactly. be exactly. We'll figure that out. You'll be able to figure it out. Yeah. Well, what are you most looking forward to in this Comic Con weekend? Um, Aside from Sunday going home. So, and resting. No, 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 no. I, we love it. Like yeah. every single one of the employees that are here are huge fans. So you don't come to Comic Con if you are not a fan because it, it is a difficult work week. Um, lot of great signings at our booth, a lot of sessions, got tons of things planned. I don't know if you saw, but uh, Kelly Ripa announced, Ripa announced that she's going to be moderating the Riverdale panel. I, oh, I don't know about She announced it on her show. Um, and congratulations for getting into Hall H this year. Yeah, and we're in Hall H, which is great, um, after Supernatural. So it's, it's really going to be like a lot of fun. We're also, we've got the DC Universe activation because we're launching the DC Universe uh, in the fall. And um, we have Ready Player One activation across from the Omni, which nice. is our home entertainment group. So there's a lot of like really amazing activations happening, as well as the booth. Excellent, excellent. And I don't know if you've looked around. Like next week, we've got the launch of Teen Titans Go to, to the Movies. I'm so ex- I'm so excited about it's that. So it, good. It, it, it looks hilarious. It's I keep on so seeing the trailer. And I know that they're showing it a few times tomorrow. I just don't know if we'll have time with all Sam this Sam Register going. and his team at Warner Brothers Animation, they 
knocked it out of the park. It is so, it is so much fun. Kids, adults, it's funny, it's fun, it's great. Yeah. It's great. That's uh, that's one thing that uh, you guys have really uh, pushed for is a wide variety of, I would say demographics, but like, you know, any choice. Like, yes. You guys go, it's, it's very much kind of like a kid-directed kind of thing. Riverdale is, is geared towards older artists that you might, might anticipate for an Archie show. Mm-hmm. The DC shows are generally for like, you know, um, a wide variety of ages. And then like in the, uh, the DC streaming, there's some those shows that are kind of aimed more towards adults. Um, what was that for everyone? That's the beauty of DC is that DC Comics tell stories that run the gamut. Yeah. And really can, in any, depending on, you know, what story you're trying to tell can target any group, mm-hmm. any age, any collection. I, I think it, that's what makes it so special. Yeah, I mean, and you have, you can show a five-year-old Teen Titans Go and then their 17-year-old brother can watch the Titans streaming series and you have these two current versions coexisting on completely different, you know, And you've got deals. amazing comic book writers and artists that are continuing yeah. to keep these characters relevant, tell really interesting stories, you know, 60 years after they started, 80 years after yeah. they started. Oh, yeah. and, Absolutely. You know, it's it's not just TV and features and video games, but it's really how magnificent they've also managed the uh, publishing side. Yeah, yeah especially lately. Mm-hmm. The Rebirth Initiative. And like that's, you know, Dan DiDio and Jeff Johns and Jim Lee and those guys. I mean, I just think that overall the company does a really great job of understanding the flexibility in storytelling because that's what we are i mean yes at, at our core warner brothers we're storytellers we're professional storytellers absolutely so well thank you very cool. much for you know, taking the time and putting together the comp we're going to be looking forward to all the warner brothers Yay. panels and press rooms that Good. we're going to be in throughout the weekend it's always our favorite. Also, thank you very much for everything you guys do to kind of put this content out there. Of course. It's just makes it every Absolutely. Yeah. And after that, we walked around the convention center floor and we found Bill Walco, a friend of ours, who uh, had a commission for us for Vietnam Agogo, who listeners of the Gotham Chronicle will know and hopefully love. Our own creator-owned series <laughs> <laughs> that we found with Sam Lee, apparently. <laughs> yeah. And John Wilson. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so that was fun, and Friday was rounded out by the release of uh, the Titans trailer, which uh, had the internet debating the ethics of flicking off Batman, which uh, you were very angry about. I mean, I, I wasn't, like, surprised because I had heard things in the weeks leading up to that, um, but it just kind of, like, put, it did put me kind of in a mood, and, I'm, and I was happy to see that, like, most of the internet, except for a couple people that we knew, were pretty much... Similar responses that I am. I say, yeah, yeah. This does not seem like a show that that I care to watch. Um, and it kind of made me just realize that like uh, DC just just sticks with this idea of like you know they'll do stuff like like the CW stuff and um, other series, and then like it, it, with stuff like Titans or whatever, it's like I oh, will just do whatever. And, and and like Titans is a show that's kind of been beset with online negative reaction. Up to this which point, I, I've not really agreed with. Um, but like now, yeah, it's, it's like I'm not, I'm not going to watch this. It's just not, it's not my bag, man. And you can damn well not expect for me to be on a podcast talking about it. Maybe it'll be like Legends of Tomorrow, where like the first season's like you know really really serious, and like by the end of like season four, like they're like piloting like a giant teddy bear fighting a demon, you know, and uh, <laughs> making noises. Bebo. <laughs> 
Yeah, Bebo was like all over those Comic Con bags this year. Like I saw so much Bebo. Uh, because the, the the bags had like that that picture of him where he's kind of like holding at his hands like he's ready to do kung fu. What did you think about the Titans trailer? Because you, you threw it to me, but what do you think? You know, I guess I guess I'm indifferent. Um, I think that Dick Grayson. You're way nicer to crappy media portrayals than I am. I I really am because I'm just kind of numb to things and. When I get mad about something, as you know, and when I hate something, I will go ham. I will go all out. But, like, it's it's weird because I have no middle ground. Like, if I really, really hate something, I'll go wild. Otherwise, I'm mostly indifferent. Um, I don't necessarily like the look that Dick Grayson has. Like, I think he's too old to be Robin. And, like, the, this like, my age. And, like the hair color bothers me. But that being said, like... I'm going to see the show before, like, I decide that for sure. But I think it was while we were at the convention that, like, you know, the the epiphany hit us that we years ago, like, we had the bad embargo. We're like, oh, we can't have, like, you know, this – we can't have the Joker in this cartoon because it will confuse people because he's also in this movie. But, like, there are so many versions of Dick Grayson running around simultaneously because we have the Dick Grayson and Teen Titans Go!, the Dick Grayson in this uh, streaming Titan show, the Dick Grayson that's going to be on the the, re- the uh, restarted Young Justice, and uh, I oh, and then like there's talk of bringing back like the old Teen Titans show possibly for a sixth season, so that would be like yet another Dick Grayson. Am I missing anything? Like, uh, no, I, think so. I mean unless they actually end up doing that Nightwing movie. <laughs> in which case like good lord like that's i i was gonna make a joke about it. it's more dicks than blank but uh we're gonna keep this podcast non-explicit so that was wednesday work all day for some old man sweat and break your back yeah then you go home to your castle but your queen won't cut your slack that's true that's why you're losing all your hair That's why you're overweight uh-huh. That's why you flip your pickup truck Right off the interstate That's right, except for the pickup truck There's a lot of bull behind you There's nothing you can do Wife don't understand you But I do No, your wife don't understand I said no one understands you, but I do. Thursday morning, uh, we did the DC. Well, (laughs) Thursday morning, we attempted to do the DC breakfast together. Last year, it was like, come on in, come one, come all. Uh, Because only one, Stella was supposed to go to the DC breakfast last year. But uh, she couldn't make it, so she just told us to go in her place. And uh, I had Ben with us last year, and Donovan, like, kind of, like, tagged along. So, like, they're like, oh, there's three of you. Who cares? Let us all sit down. But this year, it was, like, a strict, like, one person only. So I did the Thursday one while Don did the Friday one. Uh, This one was was nice. They talked about, like, the young adult line, you know, and stuff like that. And um, I'll play a little recording where um, they they had the Guinness Book of the Guinness Book of World Records people come and um, give an award for Action Comics for being, like, the longest-running, 
like, superhero comic book, to which, like, part of me is like, well, you did reboot, but I'm not going to poo-poo on your award. Like, I mean, it's, it's, never been, it's never ended or been canceled. It technically ended, because, like, they made a big deal during the New 52. Like, no, we are even ending action comics and redoing. But that being said, I'm not going to poo-poo, poo-poo it, because, like, action comics is was still being published. Like, it's not like we had, like, a year where there was no issue of action comics. Which is why I'm here today to present Dan DiDio and Jim Lee with the Guinness World Records title for the longest-running superhero comic book series for action comics, officially amazing, 80-year run. Congratulations. All right, guys, look this way, please. Yes. There you go. We have to share this? All right, okay. <laughs> that's 500 yes. each, right. This is my second one, but that's cool. <laughs> I'll go on this side. Like, I was saying to him before, at least I don't have to slice Look watermelon. This way, guys. <laughs> Damn. Look this way. One, two, three. Thanks, guys. Awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you. Very Congratulations. So, it's it's pretty amazing. And, like, what am I going to do? Like, like challenge it in the Supreme Court? Like, like <laughs> hold a trial? It's, it's, I think, yeah, I think the Supreme Court is, is busy enough right now. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna, um, they're gonna ask Brett Kavanaugh, that that's his name, right? Like, you know, what's your stance on Action Comics? You know, renumbering their new Fifty Two, and should that count against its Guinness Book of World Records? I decline the comment on that. Uh huh. What about? We're already dating the podcast. <laughs> Shut up. Brett Kavanaugh could have said that anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, and it was really cool because they had that banner up of, uh, like, a bunch of issues of action comics, like, in a row. And um, they gave us samplers of some of those young adult novels that they're going to be putting out. And, and I flipped through it, and, like, the Catwoman one, like, looked really, really good. And they talked about, you know, different stuff like DC Black Label. And uh, it's always nice to be fed at these things because when we're covering this convention stuff all day, we never get to eat sometimes. Like, sometimes we'll have breakfast and then we won't eat again and it's for, like, 12 hours until dinner if we're running in and out of different rooms because the restaurants are all crowded and convention food is, uh, like, really, really jammed. So yeah, it's, it's so um, bad. Um, I met up with Donovan to go into Hall H Press Pit for Doctor Who, and Donovan can probably tell us more about that. Yeah, I, I, I don't talk about this too much, uh, but I'm a Doctor Who fan, and as all Whovians know, that uh, the next season is going to is, is a first in the milestone 50, ser- 50 year series that the Doctor is going to be a female. Um, Jodie Whittaker of Broadchurch fame is. Uh, going to be the 13th doctor and this is the first convention that she has been to since getting the since it's been announced that she's gotten the role and they've, they've since been filming these first season or the the first series with her uh she was there with two-thirds of her companions and chris chibnall and it was cool and like she, she had really fun energy they showed a, a trailer um which i'm really down for and honestly yeah honestly, after seeing the titans trailer and getting getting ticked off <laughs> The Doctor Who trailer, like, like, okay, that's 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 more likely, you know. You, we don't see her, like, you know, slicing people's throats or whatever. <laughs> Alex. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or screw David Tennant or whatever. <laughs> um, 
Uh, <laughs> what did she be saying? Screw herself then? Because isn't like she's supposed to be the same? I've not watched a lot of Doctor Who, but like she's like that's, that's true. Yeah, she's like the same character, just in like a new body. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she's supposed to be the same character, even, even though that like uh, she and David Tennant were on the same show, which I, which I had actually watched um, in, in in BBC Broadchurch. But um, yes, uh, that was a lot of fun and. Yeah, Hollage is really cool, and, and being in the press cage is really cool because you get, you get right, right up close. Um, and it's just positive energy, and I really enjoy. Like Doctor Who is a very positive show to kind of get into. I find, you know, I know, I know. There's every geek, every kind of geek group has has its you know fandom nerd whining and stuff, but generally, like like it's it's been very positive, and uh, I enjoyed that, and I stuck around for that and for something else. Yeah, um, I liked being in there for Doctor Who. Um, so I have not seen a lot of Doctor Who, but like, you know, I was kind of doing that to like rest between, you know, events and like and keep Don company too. And uh just I liked um the reaction in the room. Because like they even played like a little like montage of like live reactions yeah. to people finding out about, you know, the casting of uh of Jody Whitaker, Jody right? Whitaker. Yeah, Jody Whitaker as the female doctor and uh that, that I think it's even redundant to say the female doctor because, like, we don't say like the female driver, the female like like she's she's the doctor. Gonna be nurse who? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like <laughs> Donovan and I like to make fun of you know people who I call bro flakes, which are like these like really really overly aggressive like you know like anti everything. Like, yeah, like anti everything that's not like you know I'm not going to get too political here. So like sometimes I make fun of them and I'm like like so I was like on the way to the panel I was like Doctor Who more like nurse who I don't actually feel that way like but like i i, I thought you'll hear more of that later on the podcast when i play a sample of uh <laughs> questions we don't have answers uh, <laughs> oh yes well, well i mean like like uh there was a a q a q and a question where a girl had asked if the doctor was going to have these like you know kathy came batwoman-esque you know uh weapons you know are she gonna have like like feminine Utility. No, she's not the Sonic screwdriver. That'll be it. There's no, you know, Sonic purse or Sonic mirror or whatever. Yeah. yeah so, so that was special. And then afterwards, um, we split up. Um, while I went to um, Supergirl Press, which I'll talk about in a minute. Donovan. Oh yeah, I I uh, stuck around, and that was when they had the for the first time ever Dragon Ball uh, of Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Super Fame. Uh, had a panel on Hall H, and it had recently been announced that there was going to be a new movie because in Japan Dragon Ball Super had ended, and um, the, to much fanboys shock and some disgust, it was going to be called Dragon Ball Super Broly, uh, which is a very controversial. Broly is essentially like we can break this down. He's like Venom or Bane if you're a Batman fan. He's he's a villain who was very popular like in the nineties, but is a very powerful, physical, kind of like rambling villain that not a lot of people like, but but he's like popular and he's also unpopular. It's very polarizing. And this is a return of the original series creator, Akira Toriyama's, you know, input in the series. And so he said, Well let me try to to, to adapt to Broly, because Broly was made for the movies. So um you had the voice of Goku and the voice of Vegeta for the English dub, Sean Schimmel and Christopher Sabat, respectively. And you had um, uh, Gen Fukunaga as, as the, the Funimation dubbing uh, uh, executive producer. And you also had uh, representative, representatives of, of Akira Toriyama, these guys in Japan. I'm not exactly sure what they're doing, but they, these guys from Japan who worked on the film come out. And then you had 
a, someone dressed in a big foam like 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 bully. <laughs> you show me a picture of this. <laughs> that was random. And I, I don't know if they were sure what to do with him. That was wild. You said that that was like the actual like voice actor though, or something. Uh, I, he didn't say anything. So like, if, if it was, he, he was mute. Um, oh. The best. The best part about the panel was that they showed both the Japanese trailer and the English dub trailer, showing that like they've already dubbed the movie. So the English dub is going to be going to be out in theaters really quickly because the last couple of movies that have been out in theaters have actually broken records um, in terms of like you know uh, transatlantic um, anime uh, films. So this was really exciting and really fun and. Uh, Sean Shumble, the guy who voices Goku, was really excited to be in Hall H, and, and uh, it, was, it was it was again more positive energy. And like, you know, it's what the, thing, the fun thing about Comic Con is that like you can be into things besides Batman or besides comic books. Like, I'm into anime, I'm into Doctor Who, I'm into other stuff, and it's, as as you are as well. Um, like like some shows and stuff, and like I enjoyed indulging in things that um, I could just kind of you know have fun with. And yeah, Doctor Who and Doctor Dragon Ball were both. Um, personal favorites of mine that I really enjoyed uh, be, being able to uh, be, being able to, to see to have be, to lay witness up in terms of you know their panels and stuff. <laughs> so I went to um, there. Uh, Supergirl, the nineteen eighty four movie, is getting like re released on Blu ray, remastered and stuff. And um, they had uh, Helen Slater, who you know plays uh, Supergirl and uh, and also plays you know Supergirl's foster mom. On the CW series now, and Mark McClure, who um, is partially known for playing Jimmy Olsen in in um, the Superman Christopher Reeve series and the Supergirl movie, but also known as like you know uh, a guy who fades away in a photograph in the Back to the Future movies. Uh, he he was Marty McFly's brother. So like whenever, uh, yeah, he was also in the first Freaky Friday movie. I was like watching that with one of the kids recently, and like Mark McClure was like uh, <laughs> was like the crush of the main character. And I was like, wait, really? Him? Because he looks just like he's this is like Jimmy Olsen with his like goofy, like curly hair and like acts the same way. It's like, he's the cutest boy in school. I'm like, him? Really? Okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but uh that was fun and um I I couldn't resist. Um I'll I'll play that audio, but um I could not resist. I, I asked Helen Slater, why did you, like, goof around and, like, not try and find the device to save your parents? And she says to me, I know! What was up with the writers? That was so crazy. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Does she explain how, how, like, she came out of the embryonic little ship as Supergirl with a costume? No, no, I mean, there was no point in it. I mean, she didn't write the movie. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be like those guys on Simpsons that, like, were, like, talk, asking Homer about, like, itchy and scratchy. He's like, is there a way to get part of the dragon? level in the video game. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Like, <laughs> they're going to be like, when you flew out of this thing, how did you like... I asked them that question because it was fun. And I and um, I got Mark McClure to um, record this um, little bit where he reads like a section of a Jimmy Olsen comic. And I had um, the, the next day, uh, McCod Brooks, uh, or I guess it would have been two days later because we're on Thursday. Like McCod Brooks from like, who plays James Olsen on Supergirl, like read the next part. Where there's like two Jimmy's, like I'm the real Jimmy. No, I'm the real Jimmy. So uh, that was fun too. What was not fun in that press room was um, <laughs> I'm not going to name. I'm not going to say who it is. You know, like maybe you'll be able to figure it out from the audio. But like 
there was, if you listen to my New York Comic Con episode last year, there was a reporter who, like, I talked about that was at the last panel of, like, the last press session that I did at New York Comic Con, who was, like, telling everyone that they had to turn their cell phones off at the table. Like, I don't mean, like, put them on silent. Like, he wanted the phones, like, powered off because he had, like, a dinosaur old recorder that, like, if somebody has a cell phone that's not turned off, it, like, interferes with his recorder. And, you know, when I played ball the first few times I was at a press table with him, like, at New York Comic Con, but he was just so insufferable and, like, and, and like making demands of the other reporters and, and being rude to, like, the publicity assistants at Warner Brothers last year when, like, uh, Kevin Conroy, they had to, like, take down the room last year. You can hear about this in the New York Comic Con episode, but he was rude. And I ran into him again and I at this Supergirl thing, and I was like, oh, no. And he asked everyone the same thing, like, turn your cell phones off. And I just pretended that I did and, like, didn't do it. I'm like, what the frick ever? Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not about this. Like, that. Well, like, is he going to ask Helen Slater to turn her cell phone off when she comes to the table? Because she's not going to do it. Like, you're in the year 2018, but either buy a different recorder or, like, don't make demands of other people. And I, maybe it's just because I was annoyed at him, but, like, I thought his questions were a little, like, basic and insufferable, too. But, oh, well. What was cool was... Um, Helen Slater talked about um, the movie, the costume that she wore in her screen test, like uh, the, the, the the like perm with the headband and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the very and she, the very eighties one. Yeah, and she was like, "Oh yeah, like I wore that one because it was because of the comic." And I told her uh, she did not notice until I told her. I said that actually, like that was what the movie people came up with, and the comics were told to change that to look just like you in the movie. But then when your movie came out, you wore a different costume, but the comics used your costume anyway from, like, the screen test. And when we, when you and I went to the panel afterwards, like, she told that story. She says, I didn't realize this, but someone just told me that, like, you know, the, the perm, you know, the perm and the headband was because of my screen test. That's why DC used that in the comics. So uh, <laughs> I got when to teach Supergirl something about herself. Yeah, when she was murdered by the anti-Molnar. We didn't talk about what she did in the Peter David series. She would have been horrified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so here's the audio from Supergirl Press. Them have a good Everybody, that's very cool. Mark McClure. Mark McClure's in the house. Yes, you are. We're talking about 1984. Yeah. And somebody told me it was July 19th, 1984, that they had the royal premiere for Supergirl over in London. July 19th. 34 years exactly today. Wow. And the dates lined up, the whole thing lined up, which is pretty trippy. And I hear it every 18 years is how that works. Did you guys know that? No. no. So much that we can, if we get out of bed, we can learn. Yeah. <laughs> the trick is getting out of bed. Getting out of bed. So what's, uh, what's changed in the overall movie world from 84 doing a Supergirl movie to your ability to do one now? Uh, well, you can just stand in front of a green screen these days, I guess, you know, where you don't need to have the, the practicals. I remember when we first did the first Superman movie, it was all the London crew. We did Supergirl in London and we did the Superman films all in London at Pinewood Studios and Shepperton. And these guys were just kind of making it up at the time. I mean, it was one of those where it was, you know, how are we going to get away with this? And I remember the first day I left California and went to London. They put me in a car from the airport. I went to Shepperton Studios, and I walked into this huge soundstage, and 
they were just doing the shot with the promo of Superman where he kind of flies through the Fortress of Solitude and flies by. And I walked in. That's the first thing I see. Everybody starts clapping. That was the moment they realized we're going to be able to do this. And just in my life, man, I tell you what, I'm grateful. I'm a grateful person. And I've been in some moments where it's just like without knowing it at the time, you know, you're somewhere right now that counts. And that was one of them. That's one thing that I could, because I don't remember too much, but I remember that moment. And it, I remember it because it, it actually meant something. You know, it really, it was the start of something that, you know, brought us to where we are today. Really. And you have a, you had a flying moment with Chris. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that? yeah. Oh, what was that? One of the greatest moments uh, in that particular thing, uh, I remember with Christopher Reeve and we were up on... Uh, up on the wires above the sound stage and uh, I think it was it was the Hoover Dam sequence mm-hmm. and he kind of asked me at that time if I could just try to be like Jimmy you know try to act like Jimmy because I'm up there and we're rambling and I'm rambling you know I'm just a kid from California you know and and I'm just having a good time and Chris has got a big responsibility and while we were up there he said if you can just help me out by being Jimmy and from that moment on I gave him Jimmy and it was such a gift and for him to do that for me. I'll tell you one thing. And you're the only one from the Supergirl film that was in one of yeah. the previous Superman films. So what was that like for you, basically being the carryover? I, you know, I didn't even think about that, but I, I kind of, uh, I think I realized I was the carryover. And so I've been hearing that Chris was maybe going to do it. And in the movie, they said he was in some far-off galaxy. Yep. Yeah, he's on a peacekeeping mission. Well, and somebody had to do it. And I think what he ended up doing is staying at the Hilton and, you know, just took it as a vacation. <laughs> and he didn't rush back. But uh, as I remember seeing Chris for the first time in that outfit, if you, if you guys got to, you know, go up on the wires or just see Christopher Reeve in that outfit, he was Superman. And I'm... I don't know if in my lifetime if anybody's going to take that spot. I've been hoping for it. I love Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman did it for me as far as a film that was comparable. Uh, but Christopher Reeve looked like Superman, and he was the guy. And he came out of nowhere. I never saw his face before, but he was Superman. Same thing happened with Helen. When I went in there, I was like, well, who's this going to be? You know, in... in for Christopher Reeve, they were trying to get Sylvester Stallone. They were thinking, they were thinking Robert Redford. I mean, they were just thinking we got to get a name to put the outfit on, and that's really such the opposite of what you should do. And I remember seeing Helen, and she was it. She was Supergirl. She looked good. She was fresh, strong, and I felt uh, I felt very comfortable with her. And she was a, she was a good actress. And what I tried to bring with any of my acting. <coughs> Not necessarily just with Superman, but I want to be believable. I want to be a believable character. And I think when you do anything in the comic book world, you have to be believable. You know, don't, you don't have to tell jokes. Just be believable. Let the material get you through. And let the material be funny. But you just have to be believable. And I think that's, that's a trick with anything. And... Uh, I've been lucky. I retired maybe five, six years ago because I thought I can't keep getting away with because I one of the very things that you guys that I'll just tell you is I never wanted to get caught acting. And I kind of thought I'm pushing my luck. I went to military school my whole life. When I got out, I had an opportunity because we knew a lady that was an agent. She said, you want to try it? I said, yeah, I'll try it. And just things kept going. And as my career kept going, I kept thinking, 
I don't want to get caught. Yeah. Not knowing what I'm, I, I don't know even know how I got here. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I am here. What do you think when in, in Batman v Superman, Jimmy Olsen got killed just right at first five minutes? I didn't even know he was Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, no one did. I don't think they even knew it was Jimmy Olsen. But why they're messing with Jimmy Olsen, I don't know. He's such a great character. He's such a part of it. Yeah. Lois Lane. I mean, don't. What are you messing around with? Yeah. What are you doing? You got guys that people love. Jimmy Olsen is such an original character. He's so wholesome. He's so Americana. He's so he's just who he is. He's a he's a real person. Why why are you gonna get rid of him? Put him in there. I don't care where you put him, put him in there though. Let the audience have him. He's just I mean, how old is he now? 75 years? Yeah. 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 And I'm, I'm the senior Jimmy Olsen now. We lost Jack Larson, who was a great Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. And what a great guy. And he looked he looked like Jimmy Olsen all the way to the end. I mean, I'm not quite sure if I still look like my Jimmy. But you need a bow tie? Yeah. If I put a bow tie on, I'd knock it out. Or you'd say, there's Mark. Or there's Jimmy. There's Jimmy. But uh, Jack Larson was such a great guy. And boy, did he have Hollywood stories. He was, he was a cool cat. Tell I, us about I miss how him. you got the part. I was working on a houseboat. I was living on a houseboat in Marina Del Rey. Yeah. And I got the call. And I went up and I met Dick Donner, um, Tom Mankiewicz, and Lynn Stallmaster, who was the casting director. And I walk into the interview and uh, they say, well, what are you doing? And Dick Donner said, you know, what are you, what are you up to? And I said, well, I'm living on a houseboat. Life is pretty cool. You know, and, and I, you know, I didn't know the business at all. When I went into interviews, I could, if I got the job, cool. If I didn't get the job, cool. There was nothing riding on it for me. And he always wanted to live on a, Dick Donner would always wanted to live on a houseboat. Or always wanted to live on a boat. So all we talked about was boats. And at the end of it, 20 minutes, I get up and I start walking out. And he said, by the way, do you know who Jimmy Olsen is? And I said, golly, Mr. Kent. Because I, I, I didn't know who Jimmy Olsen was. They all laughed and I left. It was like about three months later. And I had forgotten about it. Three months later, I got a call back saying they want to see you again. And I remember coming into the, uh, the office and there was a guy sitting there that everybody would know. And, you know, I'm, I'm always just talking to everybody. And I said, you up for, are you up for Jimmy Olsen? He goes, no, I'm up for uh, Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> so for 10 minutes, we just both sat there quiet because I was like, you know, really? With the attitude, what, what's up? So anyway, we, we were just quiet. But anyway, I walked into the office. Dick Donner said, I just want to remember what you look like. And I got the part. And a week later, I'm on off to London. Doing the part, yeah. I did, if, if I read, I probably would have blown it. Who knows? But was I didn't it, have to read. I just had to be there. I had to be at the right it, place uh, at the right time. Sorry. Was it uh, Marlon Brando? Was that the guy that you were that you were talking to then? Uh, I was not talking to. Oh, okay. No, no Marlon. <laughs> but I did see Marlon Brando, and he gave. Uh, I think it was what was it uh, like three thousand pounds to each crew member that worked on Superman. You know, he made a lot of, I forget, I think he made five million for the first one, maybe the second one. But he took, he took care of the crew and he was a cool cat. I mean, like I say, I got to, I got to be with people in my lifetime and I never took pictures. I didn't think much of it at the time, but 
when I look back, it's like, how did I get here? No doubt. I'm sure everybody. Yeah. Like, how did you guys get here? <laughs> I know these helped you, but there were those passes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole those helped you, but without those passes, you're yeah. outside. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. Of them this is a weekend with that pass, and it, <laughs> this is really. I was here a long time ago with Superman, and it was it was a lot smaller. This has gotten a little cuckoo. It's a little anxiety, man. There's a lot of people. While you were shooting uh, with Dick Donner, do you feel the tension between him and the Salkins that eventually will be replaced? I sat next to Elias Salkin a little bit ago at a uh, screening at the Grauman's Chinese Theater, and he started talking about how he fired Dick Donner and why he fi fired Dick Donner. And boy, did I want to say something. Dick Donner is the only reason why I'm sitting here. He was it. And for whatever... They said if Superman was a failure, they would have kept him on. But it was a success. So they replaced him with Richard Lester. And Dick Donner is one of those guys where you can... He brings you on the set, you find moments. You just improv and you find human moments. And then you shoot it. Richard Lester took over and we came back and Margot, Margot Kidder, who we just lost, she was the really the only person that spoke up against the whole thing. Because I really didn't know. Christopher Reeve didn't speak up and he could have. But Margot Kidder was the only one that really spoke up for Dick. But we came on the set after we came back from the premiere in, in uh, Washington and we found that Donner wasn't going to be there and Richard Lester was the new director and Lester had already been there kind of hanging around because the Salkinds did something with him and owed him money but we come on the set and there'd be an X there and Lester would go okay you're going to stand on this X there's three cameras you're going to stand there say that stand there say that and it just became like you don't even need us we don't even you know you just need somebody and it all from that moment on it got a little different and I love the sequel that Michael Thaw found uh, with the Donner cut yeah. that's the true oh, sequel it's the true that, sequel yeah. it's just a beautiful Jeffrey Unsworth it's just a, it's just beautiful and it's just and Dick Donner was signed for seven films I was signed for everybody signed for seven films at the, at the beginning and we'll, we'll just never know You know, it's just like in life, we'll never know what could have been. And God bless Christopher Reeve, you know, uh, in a lifetime to be Superman and to be the Superman and then end up in a wheelchair and, and go out in a big, big way. God bless him. Do you feel that they, they could have... Uh... Kind of, there was a lot of gold to mine with Jimmy and Superman and Lois oh, yeah. shit that really wasn't oh it would have been there it would have been there if if the universe wanted it that way you know because it was all set to go and we had all the the writing everybody in that room in 1977 it was all meant to be everybody was at the right place at the right time it was a magical time to be with filmmakers no doubt and Dick Donner <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't get better. Whatever happened to that guy? Uh, <laughs> Dick Donner is a... Uh, if, you, right. if you can ever He's say anything... Business. Christopher, yeah, Dick Donner is the reason Thanks, why Mark. anybody's Thank anything. Thank you. Thank you. Right, Thank you. Thank you. And you're also R. Jimmy Olsen, too. I give you Helen Slater. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Hello. So, you were 21 years old. You just got cast as Supergirl. I don't think so. Was it not 20? <laughs> I was 18. 18? Oh, wow. <laughs> how, do you, how did you feel about taking this title character and becoming, taking on this whole movie? 
I mean, it was so exciting. I was 19 by the time we were done shooting. But um, it was just so exciting to make this film, to be cast, to get a part at a performing arts high school where... You know, getting acting work was all of our dream. It was the Fame High School, so I had been. We weren't allowed to work really while we were there, so this was the big experiment: get a job, and it was really exciting. I mean, all I had was just looking forward, excitement, 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 excitement. Did you know anything about Supergirl before you got nothing? Nothing. Wow. Zip. So I don't even know how popular were how popular was that comic then. Mm. I mean, I don't know oh, that it, no, it was. It was oh, still yeah. really oh, big yeah. in the... More now. not in the Manhattan. What do you think of that original uh, kind of screen test costume they gave you with the headband and the right. perm? Like, I know. Really wonky. But they were just saying at the other table that she was that way in the 80s. Well, they, the they did that because the movie studio told them, hey, make her that way in the comics. So they did. And yeah. then the movie said, oh, never mind. We're doing this. Helen. But yeah, then they stayed that way. What? Oh, look, you have... Fantastic. So that was done before the movie. Yes. It was done before the movie, but the movie asked them to do that. Oh, to, and then to tie they didn't in. And then they it. like, oh, yeah, no, we're not doing that anymore. But crazy. Yeah, fun. That's crazy. <laughs> Good um, ink. Nice and, ink. <laughs> and you've raised two different versions of Supergirl because on, you know, the live action show, you know, um, you're doing that. But then also in DC Superhero Girls, yes. you're Martha Kent and you're raising How that Supergirl. How many more mothers as, can I play? I know. You're, you're, you're your own mother. How many people can say that across multiple continuities? <laughs> That's too? true. Am I my own mother? I am. <laughs> I am. And I'm Clark's mother on Smallville. Yeah, Clark Kent's yes, because you're Laura. Yeah. You're your own mother and your own aunt. Like the mother, I'm gonna get some kind of special like uh, placement in the universe. Yeah. So the the costume for that super for the original super crew you yeah. play, um, what was that like? I guess was it was it a lot of fittings or did they get it right? I the remember they tried out a lot of different things. There were a lot of uh, chefs in the kitchen because it wasn't just it had it was the Salkins. I'm sure DC was part of it. The costume designer. The yeah. So, yeah. But somebody at one of these Comic Cons bought one of the original Supergirl lead, and it looked so tiny. I was like, did it shrink? I mean, I haven't, my weight hasn't changed that much, but I was like, I don't think I could actually. It looks so. The only thing I can think of is that just the dry heat or something that actually that material, it must have gotten. This must have shrunk down. So, what about uh, flying? How was that like for you? I mean, I as a little girl, and even to this day, whenever I have a flying dream, I feel like I won the lottery because it's so vivid and such a beautiful experience. Have you ever had a flying dream? All the time. It, there's just nothing like it, right? So then to be actually doing it in a movie, I, I don't know, I had this just particular joy around going to be doing that thing that I love so much when I have So, over the last few years, Supergirl has become much bigger than it had been in many, many sure. years. And so how does it feel to be known as the first? Yeah, people have been asking that. You know, it's sort of like I, it didn't occur to me 
That's the only way to describe it. It just wasn't on the radar of like, oh, I'm the first of this. You know, I can put a feather in my cap. I did this. But what I do think is that it's curious that between 1984 and 2016, or whenever the Super Bowl series came out, that there was nothing. I mean, even with all the flaws of the original screenplay, you would have thought somebody would have been like, come on, let's just take another whack at this. And they really, until Greg Berlanti was just like, let's let's do this. That's, I find that just interesting. Was there even a, a, another woman lead superhero movie between no. Wonder Woman and Supergirl? Not well, in the Catwoman. lead. We had Catwoman. We don't talk about okay. Catwoman. Have and Electra. Okay, I guess we don't talk about that one either. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about them because they were, they were yeah. not great. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but that's different still. Why is it different? It's not, it's not DC, right? It is. Well, oh, it is DC? Well, what yeah, one, one is Marvel. But still, they're, they're, they weren't really heroes. I mean, it's not well, the same as a young woman like think yeah. of Melissa right now or just where they're figuring out who they are and yeah. keep making these choices moral choices or ethical choices of like putting other people before themselves that's unusual like you can't to find that just as a character even in the um, did you give any advice to Melissa somebody else was asking that I mean I love this girl I think she's incredible in the part she's so deeply talented very early on we talked a little bit about uh, some of the stuff about just being in this part but you know my big thing is they one hour TV shows work those actors way too hard for too many hours there I, I think there should be legislation or new laws put in because she will solidly work uh, 15 16 hour days and there's just no reason when you're doing a 22 episode and anyway that's beside the point my feeling is that thing of self-preservation self-care so that you do have something in the tank that I would say for any young person in their 20s and 30s just that mentality especially in the West especially in the United States that vertical thinking like you keep going keep achieving keep producing keep going keep going and there's a you know I, I personally think there's a flaw in that mindset and actors we definitely have you have to be you know you have to have a lot of inner strength to go like I'm going to take a pass or anything. Anyway. Do, you, um, do you see uh, a part of you in the Supergirls in comics now or in the TV show like you know, I did have like a weird psychedelic experience. I had it when I saw Laura Vander Hoot. Is that how we say her? Yes. <laughs> when I first saw her on the set of Smallville, like I remember looking at the back of her and thinking like, okay, that's what I looked like. I, had, I couldn't see her face, but I was like, oh, that's kind of what it was like 25 years ago back then or whenever it was. And similarly, seeing the S on Melissa, that kind of, I had a little bit of this wonky... There's no way to describe it. Just, I wish I had the words. It just felt really odd. It was such a melding, all-encompassing experience. No one else had played Supergirl yet. Here I am in my 50s, seeing somebody in the thing that I was in. Just, just kind of surreal, I guess is the right. Yeah. And you've done uh, voice acting in the past. You've done Tal Yaw Group for Batman That's Animated true. Series. And now you're That's doing Martha, um, Martha Kent. But right. I wanted to give you like a proposition. Yeah. So, you know, the late Adam West, he did Return to Kate Crusader. He yeah. did Batman versus Two-Face. Yeah. What if they ever positioned you to do Supergirl 84 animated? Would you ever Oh, that's funny. 
who was saying uh, something else had not quite that question? Yeah, I mean, I would, sure. Okay. I don't know that our voices change that much, so it would kind of be okay. However, like Adina Menzel, who's the most incredible singer on the planet, she did Frozen. Yeah. But I felt, because she's more my contemporary than not, like, mm -hmm. this is a 40-something-year-old doing a young... 15 like I just felt <laughs> as an older person I think if I was younger watching it I and I know that nobody cared so I I would be sensitive about that yeah. about being a supergirl voice in my I think we 60s want to, <laughs> just to kind of continue to yeah. just to keep going go. it's yeah. very fun be cool. so you've also contributed to the comics you wrote a story I for did. supergirl number 50 back in I did. 2010 I think it was yeah um how how does it feel that you were able to contribute to that legacy as well? So fun. Just so fun. Say yes. Fun. There it was. Why not? <laughs> Do you have any, any memories of working with Peter O'Toole on the Krypton sequences? I mean, I remember when I saw the scene in the Phantom Zone finally shot, and I thought, and I thought, like, oh, the wind is blowing, it's this natural acting, and he was Shakespearean. He kind of had his hand on this whole, and I was kind of like this lame, yeah, that kind of, so I had a little bit like, oh, but um, I've told the story before that um, I had these speeches from Shakespeare memorized because of performing arts high school, and one was this Juliet speech that knows the Mask of Night is... Knows the Mask of Night is against my skin. Anyway, well, it's not coming to me now. But he said to me, and I was doing it very emotionally to Romeo, you know, and he said, I want you to try it again and pretend you're holding two daffodils in your hands. And what that did is it grounded me and allowed this poetry to come through. So that's a very profound memory of him. Very sad. Yeah, more, no, but more from an acting point of view so that the Shakespeare could come through and you weren't distracting with your hand movements or your... And the other thing, which I just told the other table, was him saying to me this thing about, I want you to think about the word aware. And I thought, like, that's so wild. He's saying that, but here it is 35 years later, and that's a really good prompt to say to an 18-year-old. Because think about it. Like, what are you aware of right now? Where is your attention? Kind of had that Zen Buddhist something. Did you have any moments with, like, Bay Dunaway? Um, not personally. It was very, she was extremely professional, you know, sort of ran a very tight, sort of tight ship. Um, and I'm sure it's very tricky for her to have stepped into just this wild, like, Hieronymus Bosch painting. Like, what are you in? After the kinds of roles she had done before. Um, so I think she probably was a little more buttoned up and just... And Brenda Vaccaro? Fantastic. So warm-hearted. Very, uh, you know, as you can imagine, just lots of dripping with warmth and humor. And, and why didn't you look for the Omega Hadron instead? You went to school instead. Crazy. <laughs> like your Where are the script writers? Yeah, okay. I'm glad that you agree with us on that. Yeah. You know, we like watched the movie again last night at the hotel. Like, and like, I'm like, her are parents they? are dying any day. And you're, you and Lucy Lane are like... Having friends fries. <laughs> Agree. I, I just that'll make everyone happy. <laughs> it's not necessarily the same situation, but um, you did an episode of Supergirl last season, Midvale, 
and these young actresses were stepping into parts that they had never right? really done. And now you're kind of on the other hand, you know, you have these young actresses. Did you give any advice to them? Um, they were so strong, both those girls, and delightful, like solidly delightful. And I thought they looked amazingly they like the older, like Kyler and Melissa. Um, I don't know that I'd give advice, really. I mean, I've played now moms a lot, not only in the Supergirl, but The Lion Game and Gigantic and these other TV series. And the most fun for me is um, when they have auditions for something else. And traditionally, everybody at some point is auditioning for something else. And then, because I love coaching actors, I love actors so much. So to me, that's like the boon, uh, working on a scene for their audition. Yeah. <laughs> it gives me great joy. What's it like to be here and to, to see how really how Supergirl's grown and and just yeah. the, how the fandom of this place? I can't. I'm kind of. I mean, I'm sure this is wrong to say this, but I am surprised that it still has a life this many years later. I mean, it really. I've done a lot of other films that have sort of been whatever or television shows, but I guess in this era of these superheroes, I think the timing has a lot to do with it and that Melissa's show is doing well, but I can't imagine it's going to keep going. I think at some point it will have its rest. My version, not the whole thing, but yeah. I have like an interesting thing about will they change the... um, not always keep doing these traditional beautiful women um, that are that whose bodies are traditional like I would really love to see someone take on in the superhero pantheon like the women that don't look like the uh, man's ideal version of a woman or and we haven't seen that yet it's still even though a lot has changed there's a lot more humor it's a lot there, there really is now, in the same way, I think, with gay movement coming out, like the LGBTQ, with just women's body types. There are women that are coming out as bigger, that are coming out as a new, with that not having to feel um, just the culture knocking them over the head of how you're physically supposed to look. And why not in a superhero or summer? It'd be really cool because there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I think it would go a long way for a lot of the women, young girls that are growing up who are still feeling isolated, still feeling they don't quite fit in. There's a comic book, actually, about a superhero. What's it called? Because I saw it. Faith. Faith. Is she the... She's She's big. No, this is something else. It's a graphic novel. She lives on an island, and she has to go get food, and she's a big woman, and it's a graphic novel. It's true. Oh, man. I'm going to find out what it's called. And that's really... No, not that, but that's cool. Yeah, All right, then I stand corrected. Faith is yeah, faith is great. Does she have a power? Or she's oh, yeah, yeah. Super, she has super power. Oh, well, then I am completely stand corrected. Yeah. Well, but it's, that's not a big... I don't know. That's not a big... But you're wanting it to be, you know, wider, like, you know... No, you know, more... Yeah. Yeah, more in more mass media and stuff like you know because in every of these new superhero movies it is the perfect body types right. like the ones that everyone's it's seen Dalton, yeah it's you know and it just would be interesting it would be interesting I would like a Superman that looks like this too right you know? <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's a series in that That's like right. just a fun sort of have you been um, asked to come back uh, for Supergirl this coming season yet I, not yet but I'm pretty sure they, they so far the tradition is like two or three episodes they bring me up and yeah 
You got to knock Dean Kane over for all that nasty stuff he did right? the other year. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. But you know what it is about superheroes, though? They really replace what used to be the Greek gods. Exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. Agreed. And I, you know, I wrote a whole record about the Greek myths. Yeah. I'm a big Greek mythology person. Yes. Yeah. Interestingly. Although we brought in other things like with Superman. He's an but it alien. has that. I think people, like, probably in a thousand years would look back in the same way we look back at Greece, at Homer and the Odyssey, the Iliad, and look at these. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be interesting. This is kind of making that pantheon of these. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you get to meet Chris while filming Superman? I did. I did. He was so lovely and so sweet. I'm very sorry he's gone. Yeah. We're going to wrap it up. And Thank you guys break. so much. You Thank were lovely to talk to you. Thank you. You were terrific. Sure. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of a cool picture. Oh, thank you. Well, you're a cool person. I'll do and after that, you and I went to the Supergirl movie panel. Um, you know, any like recollections or memories of that? I, I gotta say that, like, uh, having just re- just watched it the day before and not having a very high opinion on it, um, <laughs> it was it was actually kind of like kind of like like heartening to see so many people genuinely enjoy it, like genuinely like like yay, it's a Supergirl movie, this is like my childhood because. Uh, Honestly, like, you know, because we're fans with Superman fans, like, like we're friends with Superman fans, like Michael Bailey and such, and I don't know if the Supergirl film has been often discussed. Like, Batman and Robin is a movie that, like, you know, people talk about a lot, whether they, they don't like it or they really don't like it, but, like, that's, if you've not seen it, you might as well have seen it because of how many people, how much people talk about it. Supergirl, the movie, I don't think has really been discussed often in terms of the conversations that I've been in, so seeing people have a genuine reaction to it was was new to me. And it was cool that they were all positive, and you saw, um, you know, the scene of her fighting the two bullies and stuff. And the oh very, gosh, very... she has that scene. <laughs> that scene. was so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are you guys like this? It's just the way we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we like a lot of stuff that that's like probably horrible. Like, if somebody saw the '90s show of Spider-Man now and like didn't grow up with it like we did, they would be able to talk about how horrible it is. And like, and ladies more like, and, and we'd be like, yeah, was that is bad, but we love it so much. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's like, you know, um, it was like, this one was like, what, 1984. So this wasn't like, you know, 10 years ago. This, this, there's, there's a real gulp of like the, the general superhero movie quality. So, um, whatever. And, uh, but it was, it was cool seeing seeing people have that reaction, even if my reaction was so you know kind of like negative. It was like, oh okay, well this 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 has an audience, and it's not, there's a reason why they had a panel for this. It wasn't just just to fill up space, and that was cool. Absolutely. Um, after that, we met up with uh, my brother Michael and his wife Kayla, and uh, drove down to the Mexican border to have some dinner. And, uh, and, and, and debate politics with people on different ideologies than ours. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember, I remember he, he drove mega fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Well, I, I think he's a Lyft or no, I know he, he's not a Lyft driver. He, he was going to be a Lyft driver, but, um, I think he didn't have enough years as license. He's, uh, he's former Navy and his wife is still in the Navy. And, uh, it, it was one of their last, uh, 
things out there because they're getting ready to move to the other side of the uh, uh, United States. So that was Thursday. I hate every ape I see from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. No, you'll never make a monkey out of me. Oh my God, I was wrong. It was Earth all along. You finally made a monkey. Yes, we finally made a monkey. Yes, you finally made a monkey out of me. I love you, Dr. Zayas. Friday morning was the second DC breakfast. I was hoping to be able to sneak onto the yacht with Don, because Don got to go on a yacht for this one. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but alas. Uh, so, Don, t- tell us about that experience. This was definitely a, a, a memorable moment in this year, because um, we, we we Uber over there, and we go to, go to this boat. It's only one person, so I, so I agreed to it, because you had the, the day before. Um, and this is the most swing. I thought that the breakfast last year was actually quite impressive. This was the most swank thing because, first of all, they, they say, okay, what's your jacket size? They give you a DC, yeah. a DC employer robe, which I still have. They, they, we, we got to keep that. So uh, it actually kind of felt funny because I was wearing my Black Panther hat and a DC thing, but whatever. Um, so, like, Shut up. <laughs> so, like, uh, uh, we, got, we, we walked all the way through, and, like, the, the ship's, the yacht's crew is like, is, like, greetings, you know, walk this way. And so we're led into this place, and it's the, the the vibe of this place is intentionally kind of a spa thing. Because this is about the story sanctuary, where it's like, you know, mental health and kind of relaxing and decompressing. So they feed us this, like, you know, fruit and stuff, and these sort of, like, you know, healthy And then drink. a supervillain attacked it, just like in, in, this, in the sanctuary story. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's sort of like like in the, in the hub of the, of the ship. And you see... Images of the Tony Daniel artwork, where you see, they're not lettered, but you see like you know, images of like Booster Golden and uh, Harley Quinn talking. And outside, uh, outside on the deck, you, you can see Dana Dio and um, uh, the, the woman that we were just talking about that we interviewed. Oh, Lisa uh, Gregorian. Yeah, she was there. And uh, Tom King was talking to some people. And then all of a sudden, like, a gong started playing, and all the press had to sit down. And um, some people I recognized, some people I didn't, but we, we, they said, please don't record. I did actually manage to record like 10 seconds of it before they started talking. And you saw at the, at the front of the deck was Tom King, uh, uh, and he was flanked by Mitch Gerards and, um, oh gosh, it's not, who was the other artist? Rap, I forget the other artist, but like, but like, uh, he was flanked by his two artists. And they were the two artists were in like eyes wide shut ass masks, and they were all everyone was dressed in white, and it was a really interesting. And, and Tom, I must say about Tom King because uh, we don't we're not on the comic cast anymore, so we don't tend to talk about like Batman comics, although we do still read them. Um, Tom King up to that point uh, he'd been fairly hit or miss for me. Like I didn't hate him, but I didn't love him. Um, I really loved the Elmer Flood Batman one shot. I thought that was awesome. That was one of my favorite comics that year. And I really enjoyed the Batman annual with, you know, him and Selena and stuff. You know, I didn't really like the War of Jokes and Riddles. I didn't really like um, Selena versus Talia. Um, I didn't really like the one. Yeah, I know you didn't like that, yeah. <laughs> so, like, so like he's very hit or miss. Like, I, I, some, some stories I like, some stories I didn't like. Um, I personally enjoyed reading Batman 50. I know a lot of people are upset. 
And I remember actually in, in our TBU group uh, chat, uh, Dustin was saying, okay, you know, after I just read the story, people are going to be real upset. And, like, I read it, and I was like, ooh, boy. But like, yeah, he had a bodyguard. He had a bodyguard. That, that bodyguard wasn't visible at the at the, at the the yacht meeting, but, like, at the um, panel, I think he was, like, in the audience. Uh, I, saw, I saw images of him. Um, to which people online were saying, like, you know, well, female writers get death threats all the time. They're my bodyguards. But <laughs> be that as it may. Um, I thought that uh, Batman 50 was quite good. And that had just been spoiled and, and, and came out before Comic-Con. So Tom King was actually quite emotional every time I saw him. And uh, he was just very, very, very – he's kind of a salty mouth, but he's, he's always a very expressive person. And he, he said, I'm, I'm very happy you guys gave me a chance to write this story. I'm, I'm, I'm loving writing Bruce and all that kind of stuff. And he had this idea for Sanctuary, and he related to his um, combat experience because he's a veteran. And he talked about how uh, I believe – his father had passed away and how he experienced near death and stuff. You know, a lot of that informed mental health issues and how that's going into the story of Sanctuary, where this place that's, that, that the Trinity have kind of have created to kind of have heroes chill out is attacked and they must find out who did it. And, and like, I know a dozen heroes are going to be killed and we're all, we're all kind of just, just you know, <laughs> please, please let Dick Grayson survive. Please. I, I will say this. I, I as of this recording, I read the latest, the, 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 the Red Hood and the Outlaws annual, and Roy Harper is totally dead. There was a full page splash of, you know, I'm going to the sanctuary, see you, Jason. And Jason was like, I'll see you soon, Roy, 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 Roy. It's like, okay, Roy Harper's screwed. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just hope that that's not like any of the Robins, because like, we've already, we've already been through that a thousand times. Um, but whatever. Uh, but like, I, I think Tom King, what, he had a very similar energy to, to Scott Snyder, because I always found Scott Snyder to be an incredibly humble Batman writer. Whether you like him or not, you can't deny that, like, the man uh, loved Batman and really wanted to make the best Batman story ever. And Tom King has that exact same kind of energy. So I, I really respected him after after being on this in this interview. I say interview. Um, after he was done, we were all ushered out. Um, I, I, I met up with Josh, and Josh was like, so did you get the interview? I was like, oh, they kind of stretched us away. And then some colleagues of ours came out and said, oh, we just got done interviewing Tom King. And I was like, what? So I, I, I tried to get back <laughs> we, on the We tried to get back on the boats. I was like, come on, Don. <laughs> I don't know. That was my bad. That was my bad. Uh, I mean, well, whatever. I mean, we we we, we tried. You know, like I, I, I'm not going to say that like that like you did nothing, but <laughs> yeah. But it was it was fun. I mean, I, yeah. If you look on my Instagram, you can see some of this. I put some pictures in like a 10 second clip. But um, that was a a very a very fun experience. And I hope I I, I continue to experience this as as press because I felt very privileged to be a part of that. Um. And I'm glad that you took the day that you did because I wouldn't have been able to experience it. Yeah, so that, that, that was definitely a highlight of the year. Oh yeah, I, I was glad to give you that one, especially because of you know uh, what happened uh, the next the next day. So you need you needed the win. Um, so the next event was Lego DC Villains Press, which uh, that was that was interesting for a few. <laughs> You're like struggling. <laughs> Well, be, be, because th- th- this is where the Juggalos enter the story. You remember the Juggalos? I remember the Juggalos. <laughs> the Juggalos are supporting characters. Like every, every every like convention, there's kind of like supporting players and like you know characters and stuff. So like, enter the Juggalos. We were at a press table. Um, well, I, actually, it was it was just me. I don't, I don't remember what you were doing. This was uh, noon to one. You might have you know been searching around. And stuff. Oh, you were trying to get into. Now I remember that was when. Um, 
you were trying to get in the Spider-Man. So the Lego uh, DC Villains uh, video game press, um, and there was these jugglos at the table who, like, I talk about this on all of our convention stuff. Sometimes there's just reporters who, like, behave badly at these tables, you know, like, uh, and, and if Stella was here, she'd be like, yeah, like you guys. <laughs> she was the one who was, like, laughing her ass off when I was telling her about people's pants falling down last year. She, she has no room to talk. Yeah, so these these guys in, like, full juggalo makeup were, like, <laughs> really, really, like, they started vaping at the table, first of all, which, like, uh, I think – like someone went over and like had to tell them to stop. There was something else that they did too, aside from vaping that like they got in trouble for. Um, when one of the talent people came over and you'll hear this in the audio, they started having like a personal like conversation with them. Like, Hey, remember me? Blah, blah, blah. Hey, did you ever talk to so-and-so about that party we're arranging? And like, it went on for like longer than it should have. Cause if we recognize someone or someone knows us, like we'll say hi or something, but like, you don't, you're there to work and be professional. Yeah, right. Like, like you, you don't carry it on. Like, um, um, the guy who plays who played Superman in Justice League, uh, what's his name again? He he was on Scandal. Um, I, I, oh, 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 uh, George Newbern. George Newbern, yeah. Like, I I did like a video game pan, uh, pressing with him a few years ago, and he's friends with my aunt. He sat down and like I wasn't gonna say anything during the press thing. But he looked at me and he says, I've met you somewhere before. I said, I'm Mary Rose's nephew. And he's like, oh, okay. And we did the interview with, like, the people at the table. And then afterwards, I took him aside and we talked about, like, my aunt and stuff. Because I wasn't going to do that at the table. These guys, like, they were just with the vaping. And they did something else wrong that I don't remember. And um, I'm not going to say the name of this reporter because, uh, like, I, I don't know if he wants me to quote him on this. But, like... After they left, like a reporter who I met and spent some time with during the convention looked at me and said, ever since Jared Leto, you know, like normalizing juggalo culture, it's been stuff like this all the time. Ugh. <laughs> and, uh, but juggalos aside, it was fun. Uh, Kevin Conroy was there, as was. Um, he was really the, the Lego thing? Yeah, know. yeah, because, yeah, Kevin, Con Kevin Conroy's um, uh, voicing Batman in, in this video game. Like, I love, like, <laughs> there's no project too small for him. Like he'll voice Batman. Sure. You know, like, yeah, like, which is great. Like, it sounds like I'm giving him a hard time when I say this, but like, that is so nice. Uh, yeah. Kevin Conroy. I'm looking at the list right now. Julia, Nate, Julie Nathanson, who's playing a uh, silver Banshee. Uh, and she, she's also like bell in like most of the Disney beauty and the beast stuff, except for like the original. And I asked her, I'm like, Oh, are you going to be Belle in that, like, Wreck-It Ralph 2 thing? She says, no, they got the original Belle back for that. But isn't that so cool? Like, all the Disney princesses, oh, my God. Uh, Fred Tatsakori, if I'm pronouncing his name right, but he's, he's Solomon Grundy. And uh, uh, so there's some fun stuff. So here is Lego DC Villains. I'm slow right now, bro. <laughs> you don't see the theme? Okay, so you guys are the I, know, uh, I'm I don't know. know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are you going to uh, Justin Mumsden. Justin? And I'm Matt Ellison. Justin Okay, okay and uh, what is your role with... Uh... So I'm a senior producer at TT Games, obviously working on this game. Uh, and yeah, I'm a designer in LEGO, uh, based in Denmark. So, uh, awesome! Yeah, right, so I have a question. So what is the uh, challenge in bringing this game to life? 
so for this game, uh, obviously we wanted to do something that was different, and uh, having the villains is sort of a different twist on a Lego game. It's something that we haven't uh, sort of done to this extent, um, and it's something that uh, yeah makes the whole game feel different to what we've done before. Um, the other thing that's really new with this game is the very first thing that you do in the game is you watch the opening cutscene. That, that's all plays out and then it goes straight into the character customizer which is very Lego um, and you create a hero well, you create a villain uh, and that villain uh, then goes into the story and you can make that villain look however you want um, it's all using proper Lego stuff um, Lego elements and you can change the colours of everything it's a really really deep customizer you can give them different abilities but importantly as you play through the story this character develops gets new abilities comes more powerful and features throughout the whole game so uh, that is again something that's very new for this game something that's very different um, and yeah it's a very exciting sort of dynamic that is in this game and so my last question is what was uh, what did you enjoy most about making this game what was the most fun or you had the most greatest time to do it when it came to you uh, I think that the the highlight for me is the personality of the characters. So uh, obviously with the villains, uh, they all look very colorful and there's a lot of uh, variety with them, but then not just with how they look, but then with how they play as well. So they've all got sort of animations befitting of their characters. Uh, there's loads of really cool combos, special moves, and sort of different attacks and lots of different crazy, wacky, funny things that happen as well. So for me, that's sort of the highlight um, sort of playing games these characters come to life. As a Lego designer, what's your role? Um, so, uh, not only do we create the models that are shown on the screen, and alongside the TT designers as well, um, we also yeah, uh, approve the, the characters that we design or provide decos to the, the character that's never been done before in the game um, and just work really, really closely with the amazing designers at TT. So, yeah, we help. Do you do anything with the sets too, or just the characters? Uh, just the characters and the models. Um, so, yeah, the vehicles and, and yeah, a few of the, the props and stuff that are used in the sets. Yeah, one of the key things is sort of. I, did you make you worked on the Lobo set? Uh, no, I didn't. Did you not? No. Okay, so Lex Luthor. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. So that that Lex Luthor design that Justin's worked is in the game. It's actually a gifted purchase yep. for this game. So when you buy the deluxe edition, you get the minifig that Justin has worked on making. Um, and yeah, the supporting the newest sets in the game is a really cool thing for us to sort of be able to do. And it means that when sort of people see these sort of sets in the shops, they can then see them in the game as well and actually sort of maneuver them in a different way and there's sort of a symbiotic relationship between um, sort of the physical sets and how they are in game but also as well we really want to if there's a model that's not being made into a set we want it to be able to be built like in Lego so a kid can just yeah. go into their, their box and just pick up bricks and then recreate the set screen so that double, double extra I want to thank you guys for coordinating your outfits with me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what did you do <laughs> oh, yeah, well um, yes I'm the developer for <laughs> some but hey since uh, we all got the Joker yeah. on our shirts uh, tell us about what the Joker is going to be doing in this game so, uh, the, yeah, the Joker's in there right from the start, um, and as you can imagine, he uh, features very, very much, and he uh, has his own agenda uh, throughout the story. And he, the other cool thing is he is always sort of quite closely paired with Harley Quinn as well, so they've got a great dynamic between the two of them. There's lots of 
really funny dialogue and uh, uh, banter that happens between them um, as you sort of play through the game. Uh, but yeah, there's there's loads of villains. We don't really focus just on one. Uh, Joker's sort of part of the massive ensemble cast of villains that we've got in this game. Sorry. Last question. Sorry. Last question. You. So you guys kind of Lego games. Their formula has been mostly established. You already talked about the ways they've been trying to innovate, but with that, have you kind of been able to? Since most of your tools and systems are in place, have you been able to think more high level on all this, or do you still have to spend a lot of time when you're in working on like the? Uh, I think we want to make every game. We, we want to always be looking to push and innovate in everything we do. That that is um, that's what goes without question. We, we're always trying to push and uh, make sure it looks as good as it can be. You want to have uh, the story that pushes it all, and you want to be able to have these characters feel like you'd expect them to feel. So from from that side, we are always pushing as much as we can. Um, and then yeah, this stuff with you creating a custom character and that character then. Straight after you've created it, you sort of you go from the customizer where you're modifying everything. Ten seconds later, you're seeing that character appear in the cutscene, and that's sort of, that's something we haven't done before. Um, and that's a really really cool moment right at the start of the game um, that I think people are going to really enjoy. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. Brief. Speed dating interviews. Good to finally get an interview, Fred. Hey, how are you? Yeah, good good to, to see you. Talk good to you again. Yeah. Hi, good to see you too. You look a year already. I know, but isn't it amazing? Yeah, I know. A year. Yeah, how's that the was nothing. How's the documentary going on? You know what? We're it, it's it's still out there. You know, I know I know that voice. You mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Still out there, and I know that he's going to try to um, put that in. I, I believe they're going to try to do a YouTube. Uh, oh yeah, holy! It's for you, Fred. Let me talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> I told you not to call me here. <laughs> no, it's a damn predator or whatever the hell. Like, so uh, by the way, that's great. That's yeah. Yeah. Oh no no no! I'm just gonna. I, I don't know what what else we're gonna. What he's gonna plan, John's. John DiMaggio is going to plan on doing with it. I don't know yet. I know that there's been enough interview to enough interviews to make a YouTube channel out of it. I'm not kidding. Yeah, the reason I was asking about that is because I, 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 I hit him up going like, dude, um, I have the whiskey on lockdown. You can have a launch party there. Oh, have you told him that? I told him that okay. because he didn't get back to me because okay. like, I mean, the Maglieri's are friends of mine. Okay. I know I go to the Rainbow all the time. I will I see him today and tell him, so please. Yeah, yeah tell him to okay. call me. Okay. All right, about the whiskey, but enough about that. You got okay. All right, so... Uh, Fred, so you're, you're you're nothing new to Solomon Grundy, but how is this Solomon Grundy different from other versions of Solomon Grundy you've done lately? Uh, I would say this is definitely the comedic side of Solomon Grundy. Will you yeah. jump in on this too, please? Yeah, yeah. Uh, very much so. When we kind of play with these characters, um, we know that we want to do something that feels different, but it's kind of still very much Solomon Grundy, but through the Lego version, the Lego lens. Uh, so we wanted to kind of have a lot of fun with the character, get him to do some things that uh, you wouldn't see or wouldn't be able to do in any other kind of media. Yeah. So being able to kind of have the Lego version of Solomon Grundy, uh, we wanted it to be iconic, which is why the kind of voice delivery is so brilliant. Um, but with lines of dialogue that you might not expect. Kind of yeah, he's kind of sweet. Uh, you know, Cyrus Gold, generally, you know, Solomon Grundy has a terrible history, you know, and has and usually it goes in it, either way. Usually it's a very dark kind of, uh, very, very scary place. And this, I think we went in 
just to, he, we had to have some fun well, with it. Well, better than the one they're doing in Gotham. <laughs> well, right? I don't know. And so speaking of Gotham, or like other versions of Smuggardy, where did you get your motivation for this one, or did you just kind of come up with it on your own, as far as this version that you got to play? Oh, we, well, we work, I work with the writers, and, okay. and literally, I come in with what I know of Solomon Grundy, and all the three years I've been doing them, and I know his history. I got a placement in my voice for him, I know where, I know where I want him to live, you know, and then then I have to decide or we decide how dumb is he how scary is he how funny because he could either be hilarious you know or it could be like oh gosh it's you know zombie time (laughs) and so for my last question um, what was were there any real challenges in uh, Boys of Something Grundy this way anything that that came up or was it just kind of fun from start oh it was fun from start to finish there's no challenges for me the big thing is just getting what they write what they want and push as much comedy as I can and and reality to the character yeah Thank you. Those were great questions. <laughs> yeah, you guys are better than you do them short. No. <laughs> do you get to say Solomon Grundy yeah, born on a Monday? I believe so. Yeah, at some point. Yeah, I know. I gotta say. Usually, <laughs> he learned that at a hobo camp. You know, <laughs> he did. He learned. Now, he I'm learned. Curious, off record, did you do Grundy in any other forms? Is this the first one you have voice? Oh no, I do him a lot. Okay. I do him in like shows, in other games, okay, like TV Arkham, shows. Like Arkham yes, like yeah, yeah. Or it's a scary. That's a that's a beastly. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> I remember that boss bar. The boss bar was nuts. It's a beast. It's a I liked it, and we got to do the whole nursery rhyme, which was great. That. So when you're doing multiple characters in a game, do you do one character in one take, or do you have to switch between the characters? It depends. For this project, I would pretty much do one sweep through as one character just to keep it consistent. Um, Sometimes if you've been playing a a character a long, long, long time uh, and you're doing a show, yeah, we'll we'll go back and forth. Sure. You know, like if we're doing a group read. Uh, But in these things, we like to keep them. And the way we record games, too, is is, is really solitary. So I went through just all of Aries lines all of you know you know yeah croc you know from the writer side of things as well when they're writing them they have this idea that they want the whole script and we sit there and we look at it and go we think some of these lines are brilliant but will they actually run and work when actually recorded uh, and then that's why we like the idea of being able to get everything in one session because then you kind of really know whether the lines are working because you can see how it's playing off all the other lines in the, in the script and you know when they're dropping at various points of the game so trying to get it all done in one go um, for us it actually really helps us because then we can just run away and then also the animators get to bring the characters to life and we're like how is that for you that's like writing in four dimensions I mean it really is you've got to write so everything hooks up we have so you're the voice of Croc too Yes. Can you say I threw a rock at him? What? Can you say I threw a rock at him? Yeah. Let me try and get him. Which one? I threw a rock at him. Well, you know what, we're, what I'm referencing, right? What? And, yes. And, and, yeah. Yeah. The it's classics. Like, the, uh, yes. Yeah. I threw a rock at him. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's all right. I threw a rock at him. Is this cheat sheet correct? You are also Perry White? Yes. That, that, that name nice is guy. very, very different. He's a nice from... guy. <laughs> He's a really good journalist. He's not throwing rocks at people. No. Never, okay. never no. throw a rock at anyone. <laughs> the Daily Planet is a very hazardous place to work. Right. You know, like, it is. 
And he's a good guy. He's a real serious. He's a journalist. I like that about him. Well, he's better than uh, the Spider Man. Well, that guy is a different story. <laughs> they're both. They're both uh, caffeinated, though. He even has a mustache. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, when someone has this many villains to play, you have to give them some good, some redeeming some quality. Yeah. Some of them weren't all bad though at the start. <laughs> you know, like, well, how the game is though is that way too because I just got to play a D three and yeah, there's just like so many different yeah. things going on. They're kind of almost the good guys of the bad guys. Yes. Play. It's kind of how the game goes. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I is. love that, that. That's the that's the placement of it. Yeah. Is that okay? That's why I say it's evil fighting evil. You know, <laughs> but like for our own good, for our own bad. Maybe that's a, that's a slogan. <laughs> We're the justice syndicate. I'm curious when you start planning out and writing a what is the process like when you decide which characters make it in, which ones make it out, which ones come as deal? I mean, that must be an absolute nightmare with such a vast field to choose from. Oh, it's a chaotic mess. It's great. Um, it's one of the, so at the beginning, it's kind of like we have this kind of idea of, okay, we want to tell this story, um, and it's very kind of light of this is going to happen, and then this event, and then this is how we kind of we thinking going to end up. And then the writers just kind of start doing idea after idea, and it all kind of piles up. Um, one of the great things about the Lego titles is, for the most part, we don't cut characters back. We sit there and go, okay, Adam, this is really cool. We can have really cool lines of dialogue. We can have these characters play off each other, and then we can add more people, and then these guys can run off and do this. And so that's how the kind of the, the script progresses, and it's actually how the game design changes as well, because we realize, actually, we want to add these characters because we can have one funny line of dialogue between these two people who you might not have seen play against off each other. And so we'll add that to this to kind of level design and say, okay, right, we're going to add this character in so that we can play out this part of the script that just kind of organically grew. Um, and then having all these characters then just meant that we went, okay, we're going to do this. Well, let's get the VA to support it. Let's make sure that all of this kind of writing is actually going to come to life how we hope it will. Um, so, like I say, it's one of the great things. It is, it is chaotic, though. We end up with this huge list of characters. And you sit there guys, you can't cut any of them. It's like choosing between your favorite child. And it's like, no, we're going to keep them all. It's just going to be a huge roster. Everyone gets work. <laughs> so, yeah, see yeah. that. Hey, wonderful to see you guys. Yeah, yeah. You get all... Yeah, please. Thank you. I was going to ask you for that. Yeah. Great to see you yeah. guys. Yeah. Great yeah. question. Great 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 the big guns. Oh, yeah. Hey, I ran into you. Hey, I ran into jail more times. Hi. Hey, I bumped into you at Kamikaze a couple years ago. Uh huh. Yeah, I was on my way to the green room, but you were in a hurry and I was in a hurry. Yeah, I met you a few times. It's great to get to finally talk to you. How are you? As far as you're definitely nothing new to this character view, but as far as, again, this game, how is your character different from other iterations you've played over the years? Well, the trick for me with with Batman is is keeping him consistent and what makes this um, unique and funny is that the world he's in is cockeyed but the Batman character is consistent because the audience the Batman audience is the most passionate of all the audiences they know him so well Um, so you can't mess around with that you know what I mean You've got to be really true to him. But then you put him in a ridiculous situation and see how he reacts to it. And that's funny. You know what I mean? The reactions are funny. But the, the, the essence of the man is the same. Now, I'm curious, um, as far as, uh, because I believe the uh, Justice Cindy is in this too, do you also voice Owlman, or do you just voice <laughs> Are you even able to answer that? <laughs> He's just Batman. Okay. Yeah. Uh, dude, dude, Al- Alman's uh, 
what's his name? Uh, 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 the guy from. Yeah. Anyways, um, sorry, we'll, we'll move on. So my, my only other real question for you is, uh, what would, did you enjoy most like, to play this character in a video game? Because again, it's not your first time doing this. What was your in video games? Yeah. Or is this? Well, I've done a few Arkham games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A few. Yeah. This particular one, what was? What did you enjoy most about getting into it? What was most fun about this game is is the, the, the different take on the villains. There were so many villains, and there were so many different levels of villains um, that there's so much to react to. There's so many different ones to react to. So it gave me a lot to uh, to play off of. And the ones that aren't necessarily in the Gotham Batman universe. Yeah, they're totally that new. That he gets to interact with and you see that and it's not the normal thing you see. It's, you know. it's a very different universe for Batman to be functioning in. Uh, I love the traditional villains that I worked with on Batman the Animated Series, say, or Injustice League. But it's fun to shake things up and get these crazy new ones, uh, which this game introduces. Loved you in the Yoga Hoser, by the way. <laughs> that was awesome. That was funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah guys, say something slow right now. What do you think about uh, this recent Batman almost getting married and, uh, you know, spoiled by New York Times thing in the comics? Did you uh, follow any of that I, or no, have I any reaction? Did you follow that? I have to. Yeah. <laughs> I get fired if I don't follow that oh, stuff. Oh, okay. I didn't follow it. Um, I heard you a almost little, got married, I heard a little bit about quite, it. I heard a little you know. bit about it. Is it true that you and Tim Daly used to be roommates? Tim Daly? You know, Superman in the anime series? No, um, Robin Williams and I were roommates. Oh. When we were at Juilliard, we lived together for two years. Oh! And Christopher Reeve, the other Superman, was a uh, at Juilliard the same time I was. Oh! So we all knew each other in New York. Oh! But um, no, I, I didn't. T Tim is a great guy. Well, I, I we are that, friends. I, lo I, I love that um, the, the Daily Show thing you did with the Batman v Wasn't that great? Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> well, you know, He's a great guy. You know, Rodman always really wanted to play Joker. He never got a chance, but he really, really wanted. He to. would have been. I thought it was he was close too. He almost got Joker. I thought, I thought it was Riddler. Like um, I heard it was Joker. He almost got it, but uh, they, they used him as bargaining chip for Nicholson, and he wasn't happy about it. He would have been great as a Joker. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite Batman line, you know, uh, that you've said over the years? <laughs> I am vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> dot, dot, dot. In fact, uh, earlier, so, uh, yesterday, someone was all like, who's the best Batman? I said you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're asking, like, who's the Bruce Wayne and Batman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can't do both. I mean, you said the standard. You know what I mean? Like, Thank so, like, you so much. Who's best? Keaton? No, you. 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 I appreciate that. Yeah. Did you hear that? I don't disagree at all. <laughs> you are the best Batman. That means you need to get a pay raise now. Everybody I think you might you. have a future, you know, Thank in this. You, in this yeah, Let's yeah. keep that going. Let's keep that going. going. He's auditioning for 25 years. <laughs> what was that action movie that you... Uh, that action, yeah, what was it called? I don't remember. It's been a while. Island City. That was awesome. I, boy, that was sh short-lived. Boy, you're you're aware. Is playing Batman in an all-ages project like this? Do you find that you do you go to any kind of a different place than you would in something like the Killing Joke animated film? You know, do you, do you find like the characters consistent always? Yeah. But in a situation like this, you're right. You draw more on. A sort of a comedic sense because you're, you're there's just a sort of a, a comedic take on him but without 
making fun of him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You have to be true to the character. You have to be true to him. But it's with just a little bit of a twist. Does that make it more of a challenge in some ways than it does playing Batman and B-Taz? Because, well, you know, is there a finer line you have to walk? Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm. Because it's easy to walk over that line. We were just talking yeah. about that earlier. You can cross that line mm. and then it becomes parody. Mm. And you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So... Comedy is a funny line to walk, mm-hmm. especially when you're doing a very dark, serious character. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love it. Yeah. I love the challenge. Yeah. Um, but you're right, it's different. And it must be especially challenging in a video game because, you know, the video game recording, line I've heard it's a very line by session. Line. It's you know, very to, isolated, yeah, yeah. it's very disjointed. You don't get the feed from the other actors. It's yeah. not like doing a radio play yeah. where Mark is feeding me constantly, yeah. not feeding him. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so easy to work with Mark yeah. because he's so generous. Yeah, yeah. And we just, we're like kids in a sandbox together. We have so much fun. But when you're doing a game, it had yep. because of the way they're built. Yeah, you have to have completely clean takes of everything. Yeah, so everyone's isolated. How do you maintain that that sort of oh, humor? It's so hard. Yeah, it's and that's why I think it's better to use actors who are from the shows, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who are so familiar with the characters, because they they know the characters so well. They don't have to find the voice; they know the voice. They right? know yeah. it. And they'll keep it alive without having the other actor feeding them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, The Killing Joke, yeah. the movie, was the first time Mark and I did not work together. Okay. A lot of people don't know that. He was in England doing Star Wars, so we couldn't record together. Mm-hmm. Completely separate. Mm-hmm. But you would never know from listening to that movie, mm-hmm. because I knew what he was going to do. He knew what I was going to yeah. do. Yeah, and he probably you know, knew the comic by heart anyway. Well, we we just we just know each other so well at this point. Yeah. yeah. All right, we got we're gonna move on to on-camera interviews with Ames. Thank you, Thank you sir. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Scabby boy. Right. So whenever you guys are ready, uh, I was just curious. So um, this now I have to ask first: Is this your first time playing Silver Banshee? Have you played her in the past? I played her in uh, Suicide Squad: Hell to Pay. Okay. Ah, was yeah, I think I actually met you Thank there. You. I, just, I just forgot there was something yeah. there. But yeah. Yeah, that was that was wild. Yeah. So so between those two, how did this? Did your portrayal of her in this differ from that? So the way I look at it is that her character stays the same in the environment shift. So if it's a more energetic, playful environment, maybe there's more humor happening around her, maybe there's more color, more adventure. Um, she's still the same person, just shifting with the environment. Um, she's still going to have all of the dark history. She's still, to me, at least what I bring to her, she still has her um, d- disappointment, at the very least, that the clan rejected her and that uh, they banished her. She still, to me, came from the netherworld. So those things stay. Um, but the adventure just shows a different slice of who she is. And was this your first time voicing her in a video game? Yes. So I guess I'll just ask, how was that recording session different from doing it for the movie? So for the movie, I had read the entire script, and I know that sounds like a really simplistic answer, (laughs) but actually having the beginning, middle, and end of a story and having a sense of where this character goes, where she's come from, and how they want... You know how somebody wants to be able to see her develop. Um, that becomes novel when you're doing a game, because when you're doing a game, 
You're given a list of lines and a little bit of context. And you don't know where they're going to fit. And then you say, Arthur, what does it mean? Yeah. Why is she screaming here? Oh, well, here's why. Got it. Yeah, you're being dangled um, over the edge. Dangled over the edge? Got it. Okay, but what's the edge? Doesn't matter. Keep going. So they, it, the process is, I look at it... Um, two different words come to mind. One is imagination. I have to be able to imagine a world that I know very little about and trust. So I have to trust that Arthur is going to give me whatever he needs um, with regard to context so that I can kind of give what the game wants and that the voice director is pulling from me you know, what he's seeing and knows my voice well enough to kind of contextualize that as well. Um, so it's it's really imagination and trust. And the same thing is true for a movie, but um, I get to do a little bit more research for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would never have been able to read the whole script of the game, I don't think. No, it's a ludicrous amount of lines. It's crazy. I mean, that, that is a wild thing about voicing video games. And, and for you, I don't know how you have this incredibly non-linear project, and yet the story is really full for you. I know, I've heard you talk about it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, luckily, I've got a good team of writers. Yeah. So without them, no idea how we should do it. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the writing is great. But they also do, like you said, where you get to play, that's where they get to play. So all the sidelines, the incidental lines, so like when Silver Banji comes into the game, when you, know, you bring the character in and someone selects to play that character, and, and when that character dies, then no one dies in Lego, they just break apart. But all of those lines are all super funny, and that's where we get to play. So, too many lines to read. So is your preparation all kind of character based or did you um, Yeah, I just screamed three days straight. I just did that, I just screamed. The neighbors come running, the police know my name, it's fine. I was wondering, did, did you um, play any Lego games or kind of get a Lego game vibe? Well, I had voiced some characters in Lego Dimensions, um, so I, I, I knew the vibe and also, I mean, you gotta know the vibe of the Lego games because they're so fun. Yes, I do. I walk around like that all the time. My doctor had to actually. So, um, yeah, I think the vibe, one of the things I do, um, I, I'm kind of a research freak anyway. Um, I don't have time to play every game in the world, but I watch cutscenes of pretty much every single project or at least every developer's, like, MO, so I understand. Pardon? I love cutscenes. I love to be able to see, you know, what's the style, what's the vibe, what's the art, right? How are these people connecting with each other? How does the adventure unfold? So I try to familiarize myself. I was familiar anyway because it's Lego. Who's not from? I mean, no, it's, it's Lego. It's great. Um, plus, I have a kid, so you know, there's Lego all over my house right now. All of them, all over the house. They're all. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Lego foot is the worst thing in the world. That is hyperbole. That's gotta be like the next Lego video game. You gotta navigate, navigate through the Legos. Navigate through the Lego. Yeah, you get an achievement. You know. I don't want to play it. If you fail, you scream like Silver Banshee. Yeah, you scream. And end up voicing a character in it. That's what happens. And you'd be like, oh, you could be a character in this. Like, I don't like Legos. No, I love them. I love them, and they're wonderful. And I, I love, I love. You know, that's. I think that's why the idea of the Lego games appeals to me, and I'm sure this has been written, so this isn't going to be a novel thought. But Legos are all about creating your own world, anyway. And so to to have this sort of, it's very meta to have to have a Lego game where you not only get to enjoy and explore a world, but you get to create your own villain, which is what you would be doing at home, right? What's your kid think about uh, you being a Lego character? What does my kid think? Yeah. Um, That's a good question. He's a little excited. <laughs> a little? 
A little? A little? A little? He gets to tell his friend, like, Mom, he's this. That's my mom. How old is he? He's eight. Right. Okay, so, oh, so more street cred than Bell. You know, he's just past the Bell phase. He's almost able to build all the Legos yet. He goes up to ten where he can... He's pretty good. He's pretty good, but I will be playing on the Switch. Have you become a DC fan, you know, doing these games? You know, and if so, are there any favorite comics or TV shows or movies that, you know... Oh my gosh, I mean, one of my first projects that I ever voiced an animated series was DC Warner Brothers. Okay. Um, it was a spin-off of Batman Beyond called The Zeta Project. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember that. And so that was my very first regular gig. So and I played Ro. I played oh, Ro Rowan. Um, and Dietrich Bader was Zeta. And we went on the lamb together. And it was an adventure. <laughs> and it was phenomenal. Um, and Andrea Romano directed us. It was this ridiculously idyllic experience for a first. Like, this is a series. Oh, this is what this is? Oh, yeah, I'm never leaving cartoons. <laughs> Ever. Um, but so for me, just doing any DC project, I always feel like I'm coming home. I said that on a panel for Suicide Squad, and I got all teary-eyed. I'm such a mushball. But, but I really do feel that way, and I, I, I am a big fan of, of Wonder Woman. I have, some, I have, like, the first... I have a great volume of, like, the super earliest comics. The Golden Age stuff? Yeah. Oh, well, cool. I really, it may not I, look like it, but I'm a nerd, too. I really, really... I love Wonder Woman, and I loved the movie. I, um, a friend and I actually got together 100 women, and we all and a few men too and actually all went on the night of uh, the opening of the Wonder Woman movie um, and, and all saw it together um, so I am a big fan of DC thank you so much thank sure. you <laughs> so are you leaving <laughs> is that you in the red nice the trailer by the way doing that bell right. Do, no that's actually Paige O'Hara oh, okay. they have, yeah the original bell is doing it for Wreck-It Ralph okay. I was so excited we're going to bring you up here bye guys so we done now? Yay! We done? Yeah. Not yay that we don't have anything more. After that, um, we went to Young Justice uh, Press, where we uh, talked about Young Justice Season 3 Outsiders, the Netflix thing. And uh, uh, that was where I met Tatiana, who, like, is apparently, like, it, I'm from an alternate Earth where, like, I'm a female and I cover the Flash instead of, like, you know, covering <laughs> Batman stuff. Like, <laughs> that's, uh, that was, like, my exact double. So that was an interesting experience. And I was Just like, cool. you guys are getting, you guys are kind of getting loud. <laughs> well, I mean, like, 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 you got into the whole Barry and Iris thing, which, which you talked about on various other shows. And, like, and, like, she was so in agreement with you. And she said, like, Sir, I'm going to be blown up that, like, it was a fun discussion, but like you were rising in volume, and it, because this was a lull between interviews, yeah. And uh, we were like, "Uh oh," or I was like that, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, Young Justice, and the people who were at this one were Greg Wiseman, pretty sure Brandon Vietti. Uh, let me. Yeah, Greg Wiseman, Brandon Vietti, uh, Phil Barossa, the woman who plays Artemis, and the and Troy Baker who plays Geoforce. And let me see who plays Artemis, just so I can... Also, uh, the, the, the voice director, Jamie... Oh, yeah. Um, Jamie Th- Thomason, Stephanie Le- Lemeline, who plays uh, Artemis slash Tigress, too, apparently. Uh, take that, Jessica Lucas. And uh, Phil Barossa. Well, it was so, it was Artemis is going incognito as Tigress, is what it was. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's well, I shouldn't even make a quick call. Okay. <laughs> How are you doing? Hello. How are you? How are you? How are you? I'm very good. 
What are we talking about? We're talking about Young Justice. I know that show. <laughs> I have been on that show. So there's a lot of new characters showing up this season. So there what are. What was the process of like getting their voices down and like figuring that all out? It's just everybody shut up and do what I say. And it's that simple. It's that simple. Um, yeah, no, there are a lot of new characters and a lot of old characters. It's a it's a big show. Um, I mean, to put it in perspective, um, you know, a typical average television animation episode might have, in terms of cast, you know, eight to ten actors, maybe some more, some less. You know, this show are routinely had, <laughs> you know. 15, 18, 25. There were several episodes where there were over, you know, 20 actors. Um, and uh, so from a casting standpoint and from a, a, you know, dialogue directing, which is, that's, that's the fun I get to do. Right? To hire the actors and direct them, you know, doing the voices. Um, so it, uh, it um, presents a particular challenge, but it also provides a very particular um, payoff. It's uh, absolutely one of the you know, most fulfilling uh, professional experiences in television in particular uh, that I've had the pleasure of being associated with. Um, you know, I've done several shows with Greg and all of his shows are always, um, we'll call it multi-layered, textured, somewhat called uh, complicated. Um, but uh, he doesn't fool around. And the combination, you know, and Brandon, if anything, even more so. So the combination of the two of them, first of all, I've never worked with a team that more perfectly, uh, you know, complemented each other than those two guys. You know, they say a great relationship is when uh, your neuroses you know, fit each other. That's great. And Brandon, perfectly. Um, but between the two of them, I mean, they're both very intelligent you know, cerebral, well-read, well-versed, um, you know, and just true pros. And not that everyone I work with isn't all those things. It's just that there's two of them, we'll say. How about that? So it's twice as much of that uh, fantastic s stuff uh, in this one show. Um, I wish I could tell you more specifics about specific characters. Is there anything specific about the new cast members and what they're bringing to the table, the new actors? Anything specific that I'm allowed to tell you about? Or in general? I mean, we've heard it's going to have a darker tone. Greg said there's more horror in it this season. It's, it's, you know? uh, I wouldn't necessarily there... specifically say darker, though, yes. Um, but because it's on a streaming service, um, we're able to uh, fulfill moments more completely um, you know if, uh, if you liked the first two seasons you are going to love the third season um, it's, uh, it's a very character driven show and so there are in every episode you know some really special um, uh, moments you know uh, um, different kind of specific character experiential moments where stuff gets paid off and uh, because it's in a streaming service this season there are some shackles removed that would normally be there uh, for broadcast TV so um, like I say they're, they're more free to um, more completely deeply sort of richly fulfill moments 
positive moments and not so positive moments. Um, visually, it fulfill in a way that you would not be allowed to. So we could hear our first f bomb within the Young Justice universe. Or? Um, are, you, are you talking about from Greg? Or well, from the like, that's the, the oh, so oh. that's yeah, don't tell me I'm going to say that here, too. Yeah. Has, the, has the language become clear? Uh, uh, that's not what I'm talking about. No, yeah, right, right. What I'm talking about is stuff that... Um, Deeper. Uh, stuff that you can see and stuff that you can feel and stuff that can be conveyed right. um, in uh, any number of ways. I mean, it's a visual medium, so a lot of it's largely visual, but I specifically do all the dialogue. And I'm aware of it, so there must have been some dialogue moments involved in some of that. But I'm telling you, in every episode, you know, I get the script uh, in advance and I'll read through it. And at least a couple times in every episode, I'll turn the page and I'll get to something and I'll just say, wow, really? We can do that? We're doing that? We can do that? And I stopped asking that question, but I didn't stop having that reaction as the season went on. Um, It's really... It's a perfect blend. Greg was quoting uh, Sam Register, who's the you know boss at uh, Warner Brothers uh, Animation, and Sam, I guess, told Greg, uh, he said, "You guys created the perfect binge-watching show. It's just that you created it like five years, you know, too soon." Um, so, uh, I mean, the first two seasons were great, and it was a fantastic experience, and it was a drag when they didn't, you know, pick up another season. Um, I was not shocked at all when uh, I got the call that they were going to you know, pick up an additional s- season specifically for a streaming service. That made perfect sense. Um, and again, I, I, I keep coming back to this. It, it, it's everything you liked or loved about the first two seasons, but just m- more so, more completely fulfilled. Um, I mean, if you felt like it was, um, you know, a, a sort of a rich storytelling, uh, you know, experience before, um, boy, are you going to like it even more, you know, this season. It's this really a, great. Is this officially a binge show? Because you were mentioning, like, oh, you know, this could have been a big show back then, so, or is it going to be like Hulu, where you get, like, episode at a time? Do we know that yet, or? I know that I... I'm not in charge of that. Okay. <laughs> I know that. <clears throat> um, I I know that you're going to be able to binge watch the first two seasons, which I highly recommend doing. Binge watch those first two seasons and then go right into the third season. That is what I would recommend. Um, I mean, the fact is, I mean, and in any individual episode absolutely stands on its own. If you've never seen an episode and you just tune into a random episode in the middle of season two or season three, it'll be a great episode. But if you start at the beginning of season one and you binge watch those first two seasons and then go right into the third, um, you're going to have um, a, a, a particularly more uh, profound uh Experience and that sense, uh, of does it, feel, it feels like it's made more for fans even than the first two in the sense that it hits the ground running. Without, <clears throat> does it feel that way? Like it doesn't need to introduce this world that it assumes that the viewer has that knowledge and then just you know. Well, I mean, uh, to an extent, I suppose. But again, like I say, uh, it's even though it's I, have, I have two kids, I have two yeah. kids that are um, teenagers now. 
um, five years ago, they were teenagers. <clears throat> and, it, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, when this, they weren't. So they didn't, you know, see it back then. Um, but they came to me, and I guess now that I think about it, this was a particularly gratifying moment. Um, one of my daughters came to me and said, uh, didn't, didn't you work on Young Justice? Isn't that one of your shows? And I said, and this is random. This was like a year or more ago, possibly. And I said, yeah, well, yeah? Why do you ask? That show's awesome! <laughs> because, come to find out, uh, she was watching it on the Netflix, where to sit down and watch the entire season. Um, so, uh, but the other one hadn't seen any. And, you know, we all sat down one evening and watched you know, a couple episodes. And But it was well into the second season. And so uh, the daughter that had never seen an episode didn't have any of that set up. was still absolutely, you know, uh, you know, whatever. Got to enjoy it uh, on a, you know, fairly deep level so like I say each individual episode absolutely just realize I'm going like this is this in the way of the camp is that bother is that in the way of the shot um, any individual episode throw a dart it, it, you know it stands on its own um, I don't know that they went into the third season specifically presuming that you know oh everyone's gonna know and if they don't know too bad they'll be left behind but it is absolutely the way you asked it was is it made more for the fans um, it's made because of the fans I know that the fans absolutely are the reason that we're doing a third season um, it was an uh, unorganized protest as, as it were or you know whatever I just everybody was just watching it on Netflix but they were watching it a lot and so all of a sudden we got to have more without even you know pushing at that point um so, if you are a hardcore Died in the Wool fan and you know everything about this universe and you've seen every episode a hundred times, you are absolutely really, really going to appreciate this season. If you have literally never seen an episode before and you tune in, you're still going to really enjoy it. But my unsolicited advice is binge watch the first two seasons and then go into this third one. There are some emotional payoffs that will be much more profound for you if you have uh, been to watch those first two seasons. Without uh, giving away any of the, the spoilers I'm for happy to season, spoil anything. Go ahead. Yeah, tell us all. Tell us all yeah. about it. I cried when he died. Awesome. <laughs> Who would you say is your favorite character in the season without giving us anything away? Who is my favorite character? Yes. In this season. New to this season? Or just in, in you can say new to this season. That'll be fine. Other than Greg and Brandon, who are the producers of the show. Um, oh, so they're going to be characters. It's, it's, oh, they're characters, all right. They don't appear in the show, if that's what you mean. You will see them on camera, if that's what you're talking about. Um, tough to say. I mean, again, there are so many characters. Uh, it's such a broad, deep, rich tapestry. Um, it's really difficult to narrow down. But um, uh, Halo is a standout. Um, her, uh, her arc throughout the season is um, fantastic. 
And I can't, I wish I could say more. I don't know. Am, am I, am I, we're not going to tell. Yeah, great, great. We're not taping this either. Um, sure. This is just like, between us, right? Yeah. Just between us. It, it also looks like Katana's featured quite prominently, at least on the bags. The, who is? Katana. It looks like she's got a prominent here. As I recall, Katana's on the bag. As I recall, Katana shows up in the season. Yeah. And who else is on the bag? Some bug guy. Who's the big bug guy? The big bug guy is Forager. Oh. Forager. The new guys. The new guys, yeah. Yes. And if Just you guys saw the panel. Right? Say again? Just a little different take on Visually? Visually. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, in the uh, panel earlier, um, they were talking specifically about the new take on it visually. Um, they uh, were having a little more fun. You know, with things, and it's a fun character. Um, he's uh, he's great. Oh, I want to say so much more. <laughs> I, um, I, I'm not gonna stop. You. I appreciate your uh, allowing me that freedom. Oh yeah, any to... any time. And on that note, we're going to pull you for the video line. I I was just about to. <laughs> Shoot. Thank you. I gotta go. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. These other reporters. Two seconds. Two seconds. Wow. There's a lot of you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, actually. This is so exciting. It really is. I mean, it's not the most typical thing that you're on a show and then it gets canceled and then the fans rally and then it actually gets picked up and then a whole new platform is released and you're one of the big shows coming out. And I mean, there's a lot of things we're not allowed to talk about, but they decided to talk about, talk about two characters here. and I'm one of them and I'm just blown away. This is so cool. So what can you say? How's it feel to be back? It's awesome. I mean, it's a, it's a dream scenario. I was saying, you know, there's been a lot of things that have happened to all of us in the last five years, whoever you are, and then there's a lot of things that have happened in our country and in the world, and it's been, you know, challenging, to put it lightly, and this is a happy, hopeful thing, and I'm really excited to be part of something happy and hopeful. <laughs> uh, Carrie, you know, a lot of the actors, like Jason Spizak, uh, Carrie Payton, they were really involved in organizing the fan community, like uh, group binge watches on Netflix. Mm -hmm. uh, were you involved in that, you know, relevant fans? So I um, am close with the two of those guys, and they would text me about everything. I wasn't very good with social media, just because in the last five years, I had three children, and um, two of them came out seven minutes apart, and, you know... <laughs> That is really something that kept me busy. Um, but I love this show. Everything I approach in terms of my own work, I think about is this something that I'll be proud to show my kids one day? And I'm so proud of this show. Um, and I keep saying, not just because of the girl power, because I have two daughters, but also for my son. I want him to see his mom going out there and being a superhero and fighting for good. Artemis, you know, comes from a dysfunctional family, and they are bad guys. And what a cool character that the way she rebels against her family has to become a good guy. That's inspiring. And I'm so happy to be part of telling that story. So I don't know if I was involved in the organizing of binge watching per se, but now that my twins are two and a half, they're so grown up, um, I've been able to embrace social media a little bit more in the past year. I've gone back to being on camera. I'm doing a lot of work right now, and this has been 
just an extremely exciting and wonderful and amazing journey to come back to the show. You know, there was a five-year gap between season one and two in recording, but there was a five-year gap in real life between season two and three in recording. And I have had so much evolve and change in my personal life during that time. So I'm really bringing that here. Does it feel like a parallel with Artemis in the show now, too? Like, we don't know how much time has passed for her. Right. You don't know how much time has passed, and you don't know what I'm doing in season three. I do, and um, I can say that it drew a lot from my my life, and it wasn't a challenge. I also drew a lot from my own love of the show. So, you know, it's not like I have to look up who this character is and how did I feel about them five years ago. I mean, this is, like, etched into my heart. So it's, you know, when I read certain scripts, I would laugh out loud. I would... I mean, I hoot and hollered at a couple things because those were things we didn't do when we were on Cartoon Network and on this new platform. It's a lot more intense and sexier and funnier and scarier and it's racier and I'm excited about it and there's things that are so much sadder. I, I can't talk about any of it, but it's great. <laughs> Can you talk about how, how she's evolved since we've last seen her at all? Like, you know, how she grew she up? She just evolved skin. like any person would with the challenges that they've experienced that were very very hard. Okay. Is there any moving about, on from Wally after yeah, the last season two? Well, just think about grief. I think grief is not something that, you know, you just go through this little thing and then it's over. I mean, it's with you forever and it comes in waves and it affects you in different ways based on you might think you're over something and really you're just getting through it and um, and something that you don't realize is going to hit you is going to bring all of that back and um, I want to say so much. <laughs> <laughs> we can have this talk a year from now. What You're you going to see it. Your, sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. I just keep talking, so cut no, me off. No, it's that's how I roll. What do you uh, What do you do for motivation to get into your character? Not too much with this one. I mean, um, Artemis was one of the first characters. I think this was the first cartoon series that I booked when I first came to LA. I really wanted to get into voiceover. I think I did a couple guest stars, but this was my first real series. And I've done several since then, but, um, you know, I was really young and very confident that oh, I can be an actor and move to L.A. And, do that. and so that was all in that gusto and that chutzpah, and I just feel like in the last five years, I... I got a little sadder about the world and I lost hope for a little minute but then I also found hope in having kids and you know raising good children and thinking it all starts at home and this is how we really make a big impact in the world and and that's stuff that I'm drawing from for her in season three for sure um, and that will make sense to you later and then um, what else I think her voice is not too far of a departure from mine uh, if anything you know, the hardest thing when I first started doing this character was like when I got into superhero mode because I'd never been like, my joke with my husband is always like, on my way! Like he was like, you know, I had, they would make me do that line over and over again because I was like, on my way! Like I was still being a kid and I had to get really superhero about my on my ways. Um, but now that's not as much of an issue. I have three little kids and I'm like, let's go! Like, I, you know, you gotta corral them all the time. And um, she's much more of an adult now than when I first started. So, uh, I hope that... Is it gratifying to be playing a character who, before the show began, was not perhaps as widely known as, you know, Superboy Robin or Kid Flash? You know, you kind of, you know, had a hand in making her as iconic as she became. Was that was that gratifying? I 
think that it's um, gratifying for me is a, a great word in terms of just being an actor and having a role that's so juicy that's gratifying period whether or not it's an iconic character or not but I think it's a little liberating and there's a little less pressure because I got to carve my own way and I didn't have to get in my head about being compared to anyone else so I think that's really important um, but now that would be a challenge for me that I would be ready to accept when I first started um, you know there was so much new about her and, and in so many ways I think that's why I got the part because I was new on the scene and I was just making choices that felt good to me and, and it was different and unique and um, it stood out and you know I had not a very big resume and they took a chance on me and that was a really exciting and thrilling opportunity. But yeah, it's definitely not as scary <laughs> taking on a role that you get to create yourself. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you guys. This was awesome. Yeah. I'm so excited. We're looking forward to watching. Uh -huh. Hello. How can I help? Troy to be Baker back for the win. win. I just want to see someone put like something that, like that, like something that's clearly not a microphone. I actually had someone in a line once with an old iPod, not like an iPod Touch, just an iPod, and he was like, um, "So you have?" Really? And I'm like, "You can tell it's not recording anything." Come on, there's no apparatus upon which to record. He was just like. That's sad. I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like, go along with it? Try. Yes, of course. <laughs> you should have just like, given all the knowing that it like, could never be proven. Here's the deal, man. I'm gonna tell you when the Last of Us is coming out. And go. Oh. Um, anyway, what's up? Your character. So, your character. Uh, Fight. <laughs> Uh, it's Prince Markov, right? Yeah. Um, so I was curious, uh, growing up, were you a comic book fan? Yes. Then to be familiar with but, the character. But Geoforce is not like, man, I've got every Geoforce comic. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He's, he's this fringe dude. And that's what I love about Brandon Vietti and Greg Weisman, too. Like, there's not, for Greg, there's not really a fringe character who's like, no, I know everything about him. Because his knowledge is expansive. For most of us, it's kind of like, Man, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to remind me who that is. Like, I had to Google him. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I think, I'm, I think I remember there being something, there's some kind of crossovers with this character. But that's what I love. I'm, I have in the past played some iconic DC characters. Joker? Sure. Um, your, your words. Um, <laughs> you chose that one. Um, and that has its own challenges because now you're like, do something different, but don't be too different. And there's such an established structure to it. When you, when you come in and you have a character like this, you've got more freedom. I don't know, the diehard Geoforce fans might get on That's you. true. You're like, oh, you absolutely cannot have him. Um, Geoforce would never announce it that, that way. That way. <laughs> I am fluent in Markovian, and that is not how that word is pronounced. I hope Troy um, Baker gets fired for that. But then you have another framework which says, how does he fit into this universe? Because now Young Justice has its own universe and die-hard fans that everyone's kind of like, I don't want you to be. And now we have to figure out a way that, that feels like he fits in with them. And as an actor coming in, I want to make sure that I'm playing the character as it's intended to be. As a fan of the show, I'm looking at a little bit more skeptically um, and more critically and making sure that 
I believe that this guy could fit into this universe, and he's not being shoehorned in because they're trying to create a new character. Can uh, you tell us if any of Geo Force's family dynamics are going to be in Whoa. the show? No. Yes. Yeah, we talked about that. Like, you get a little tease in the in the trailer talking about his sister. So that's you got talent. You're my last one. Um, that that becomes very much of an impetus for that character and his plotline, for sure. Uh, you had a question too. I was just wondering if you could say anything about his overall arc, as, as general as it is. You know. No, he's not a general. He's a prince. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's it. I mean, the when you've seen the characters before, like in season one and season two, like first episode, today's the day. Right, like everyone is so excited about being a part of this, they want to be a part of the team, and they feel like they're being so much so that they're just willing to rush into danger by themselves. This is being thrust upon him. He didn't ask for this. He was already kind of set. He's a prince. He's aristocracy. He's royalty. He's ruling a country. And then, oh, by the way, you have a metagene that completely changes not only your identity but your future. Um, and you're young. And to be able to wrestle with that is something that to me is very much fits in within the young justice. Like that internal conflict and really stepping into the shoes that you're already in, fitting into the shoes. You know, they put on, everyone that was in season one and season two put on that uniform before they were ready to wear it. Um, and we watched every episode as gradually they learned to fill that out. And you could argue by the end of it, they didn't need it. You know what I mean? They, they realized that the superhero isn't what you wear, it's the person that you are. And that's absolutely what we're going to see. We're going to do it. Please tell me you guys recorded that. I don't think I can say that again. That's These are all I These are all I <laughs> That guy's got a Marks a lot plug <laughs> So you came into this as a fan of the show. Yeah, yeah dude. That never happens either. What a... You hate everything that you watch. What, what, no, just I'm always at the... Normally at the beginning of it. No one ever really... Like if I was on The Simpsons right now, that would be dope. But I mean... Three, season three, like here's a new character that's going to be a really big part of our storyline. That that doesn't happen. That that of like I like it's it's almost as if someone said, "We're bringing back Batman the animated series, and we want you to play whatever character." I would lose my freaking <laughs> penny bumper, huh? Penny bumper, um, a random. I was trying to think of a random character too that hasn't been played by yeah. someone Con way better than me. <laughs> Uh, the ventriloquist. <laughs> no, no. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm sure I'm I'm almost still that far. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many I am now, yeah. I've okay. like, most excited about Young Justice more so than anything else at this point. That's cool. That's um, great to hear. Yeah, I mean, like, what do you think has has connected with people about the show? Like, what do you think has touched a nerve, and why do you think they're so devoted to it? I really think it's the characters. Yeah. I mean, it I just, so. we, we, uh, I mean, I think we, we told good stories. I like to think that, but I mean, I really think the thing that locks people in with our show um, more than some others is just uh, the characters the great voice work the great designs Phil's done um, just they feel like members of the family to a lot of people and that's why they're coming back for more I think they yeah. seem like they have real lives you know? yeah. I think that that's something that we've all put a lot of 
energy and thought and creativity into is just giving them that nuance that real people have. That was, that was the primary goal of the show when we sat down to develop the series uh, a long time ago. Um, you know, we had to look at the shows that came before us, the other superhero shows that we've done at Warner Brothers Animation, and try to figure out how are we going to stand out amongst all these other great superhero shows. And we kind of, in a way, decided, well, let's not make a superhero show. Let's make a show about teenagers and their lives. And we'll fold superhero stuff into it. And along the way, we also um, decided to make it sort of a, a spy theme. Um, so we wove a lot of secrets and lies into the show. And we did it in ways that really felt, I think, um, like the lives of a teenager, really. There are a lot of secrets and lies and social dynamics going on, uh, interplay between characters that's very big and important and can be very dramatic at, at a younger age. So, you know, kind of looking at it through that lens, that, that really guided the development of the show, just focusing on characters. Like, forget that they're superheroes, forget that they're spies. Let's just find these characters first. Oh, by the way, can you give each your name so when we're transcribing we can distinguish Yeah, voices? sure. I mean, since I talk last, this is Brandon Vietti. Phil Barassa, art director. Thanks. Uh, Greg Weissman, and I find this one in particular hypnotic. Look into the We're going to hypnotize you so you can use all the spoilers. <laughs> yeah. now, not that hypnotic. <laughs> we can try. Now, it's been an agonizing wait for us, but how much time has passed within the show's universe? Like, are we coming back to another time skip? And if so, There is another time skip, as we've announced before. If you're asking specifically how long that time skip is, no spoilers. Are they still teenagers? We talked about wanting to make a show about teenagers. There are still teenagers in the show. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there are teenagers. <laughs> and, we're, and we're always bringing in new young characters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the, the young and young justice. They're all always yeah. being If you look young at characters. the pattern that we established in the first two seasons, you can imagine. Like, you know, there, there are generations of heroes. You know, and many generations. Is right. one of those generations of heroes possibly the tornado they have definitely been born. I mean, that's just math. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm not saying whether or not they appear in the show. That you'll have to wait and see. What kind of differences from a production uh, standpoint is it going with the DC network that is launching now uh, as opposed to one of the established networks? Well, I mean, the great thing about the DC Universe streaming service is that we are able to age up the stories a bit from where we were with Cartoon Network. Um, we can push the boundaries a little bit. We can make things darker. We can make things more dramatic. We can make the... We can show things on screen that we couldn't before in terms of violence, and you know, and, and this is something we, you know, we talked about this up front. We knew we were going to be able to do this, but we didn't want to be excessive about it. We didn't want to be over the top about it or gratuitous about it. So I think we've, you know, found a way to take advantage of these strengths that the DC universe offers us in terms of storytelling, and weave it into the show in a way that feels natural, doesn't feel forced. Um, services the characters, services the stories without just being over the top or just you know, for the sake of doing it. But horror is a major uh, new sort of uh, 
tone to the show that we didn't have in the first two seasons. There's definitely elements of horror this season that um, that we're able to do now and expand upon that we couldn't have done at Cartoon Network. So do you guys have storylines planned beyond this season? We've waited so long for a third season and the fans cry. From day one, we've had storylines that go out at least five to seven years. So, um, so uh, I don't think we've planned much beyond year seven. We're always planting seeds. I'm sorry? So, oh, sorry, sorry. I, I, was, I was just I, we're always planting seeds. I mean, it's like almost impossible for us to get in a room and talk about story without talking about little mile markers in people's lives that we know will spin out in the future into something bigger, something larger. It may not be in the season that we're currently writing, but we know where it's going to go. And we've got all that stuff written down. He's got an office full of three-by-five cards that we just fill up endlessly with story ideas. So. Um, DC Universe is also offering, you know, a huge comic book library, encyclopedic knowledge and stuff. I mean, have fans now have access to all this information that they might not have had before. Does that change your creative process at all? Uh, since, you know, they might have a lot more, you know, be familiar with some of the storylines that you might be uh, adapting. I can't say it's changed our creative process. I mean, I, I, it's great that the DC Universe has that. Like, we're, we're very excited about that. I mean, for a DC fan or even just somebody who's kind of new to the DCU what an amazing place to like enter the DC universe and have so many, so much of the history of their entertainment from comics to movies to, to animation just at your fingertips ready to load up but I think you know all along we've always tried to um, hit all the different audiences uh, when we're writing we're, we're trying to make sure that we're paying respect to the characters that we're working with that have been well established in comics we want to make sure that hardcore fans are like into it we're doing it right for them but also we're introducing fresh twists on famous stories famous characters uh, so that you know it's something new and interesting for an old fan to watch or for a new brand new fan to kind of come in and hopefully it just whets their appetite to learn even more about the DC Universe yeah. from their local comic shops or online, any any of the available resources. Can you describe the overall arc of the season at all, perhaps? Like, oh, okay. All right, okay. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And thanks, guys. Thank you. I knew that wasn't going to fly. She was kind of hovering. So, yeah, any comments about Young Justice and, like, the trailer that they released, you know, during Comic-Con 2? I mean, Young Justice is interesting because uh, I think that show came out in 2010, and I think by the time, because I remember we, we did an interview, the very first year we did an interview with Greg Wiseman and Daniel Pan, and Daniel Panbaker, uh, Wendy Cooper, uh, the voice of Miss Martian. That was the first year. Um, I think by the next year it, it had ended. Um, and that was a show that I really fell in love with and Stella and I were watching. I remember when Stella visited, first visited me, we watched the new episode of that together when, when Nightwing and Wally West were arguing. And um, that's a show that means a lot to us. And um, I'm been excited for this new show. And this one, I mean, I feel that like there wasn't, there's not really been a lot of information, even though they've set up, you know, oh, there's a metahuman trafficking and all this kind of stuff. And they, 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 I figured out. And apparently uh, Outsiders legitimately means the Outsiders team. Yeah, I, I figured out during that during that press event. Wait a minute, you have Geoforce, and I saw Katana, and Black Lightning's in it, and Metamorpho, and and, and like yeah, Markovia, the Outsiders, and then you were like, duh. <laughs> well, in, in fairness, I didn't I didn't think that it was literally the Outsiders either, but like, oh yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm down for it, and uh, um, 
That's been a very reliable show in terms of quality, I think. I've been very – that show to me, honestly, if, like, the DCAU with, like, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited and Batman anime series and stuff is, like, the best core dis- distillation of the DC superheroes, I think Young Justice is actually the closest – the closest to the actual DC comics because it's a pretty dark show, but it's also a lot of fun. And it's the best like Titan show there's ever been because it has all the golden age, silver age and modern age characters. You have, you know, Mal Duncan, you have Gar Logan, you have impulse, you have Cassie Sandsmark, uh, uh, Virgil Hawkins, Tim Drake, icon. You have all these different characters that the show, the show seemingly has zero limits on, on who they can use. And they're characterized to perfection. So I'm very, very – I need to do a rewatch of the show, honestly. I'm very interested uh, in, 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 in um, anticipatory towards the show. Um, and, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, when that trailer dropped while we were at Comic-Con, like, Ben, uh, who went with us last year, he, like, called me, like, very, very excited. Like, I was like, oh, is everything – he's like, I just have to talk about that Young Justice trailer. So uh, people are uh, – Excited that the show's coming back. I never got into it while all of you guys got into it, but, like, I am going to watch the first two seasons, like, all the way through um, before the third season drops on the streaming service. And this Young Justice Press thing was a lot easier than the one that Stella, Ben, and I did last year because (laughs) they were not able – you weren't at that one, but, like, they were not able to talk about anything. And usually at these, like, little press tables, it's like speed dating. You get someone for, like, three minutes – we had people for like long periods of time last year and like, like I, I don't even, I don't know. Was it like 20 minutes or something? Like if not, it, it seemed like really long, but they were not able to talk about anything, which was like frustrating. Um, but it's always cool to get Greg Wiseman and stuff because we've been a fan of him since uh, spectacular Spider-Man. And uh, I guess we were fans of him when we were kids and we didn't know it because of gargoyles. Uh, so Donovan and I split up at this point. I went over to the DC booth to interview Agnes Garboska, who's an artist for uh, DC Superhero Girls. Uh, I met her at uh, the DC and DC uh, Washington DC convention uh, earlier this year. So so that was a lot of fun. And uh, her and I talked about just you know drawing these little DC Superhero Girls graphic novels and. Uh, she talked about Batacorn, which is going to be like, you know, a new, you know, how there's like the Bat Hound and stuff like that. Like, she invented a Bat Unicorn. So, uh, here's that audio. Hi, here's a scene of the trailer. Not even close. Okay. You've you, you only had to learn like three names this yeah. weekend, Tops. Yeah. That's all. Okay. Yeah. I'll get there. How's it going, guys? It's going all right. Yeah. And. We spoke at DC and DC 2018, you know. That was awesome sauce. That was that was fun, That's wasn't it? It was such a different event. It was really fun for me because it was new and I never knew what to expect. And I met so many interesting people from like all aspects of media and the DC right? universe. That was the coolest thing. They had like the former like Surgeon General there with you guys. And like they gave us like food in the press rooms. It was great. Yeah, you know? it, it was really cool. <laughs> really cool yeah so dc superhero girl still going strong and uh you got some other stuff with it coming up you know like what, what are you working on right now with dc superhero girls uh, so, well i wrapped up uh space out will be out next year 
and that is all I could say. You guys just have to wait for all the books to come out and for DC to announce cool things. But otherwise, yeah, just well, I know in the in the bottle, right? Or out of the bottle will be out. Out of the, out of the bottle. Out of the bottle will be out this August, start of August. So that's something to look forward to and pick out. And next year we have spaced out. That's also something really cool to look forward to. So we could say that and pick right. that because it's cool. And I don't know if you said you're not allowed to say some stuff. So you know, like we'll we'll see what happens here. But you know, with them changing the art style with the new uh, series and stuff coming up, are you? going to be keeping it you know with the classic style or are you going to be I know nothing Jon Snow all I can say is I'm really excited for it the new look looks really cool it's different it looks fun and I like the energy just from like what I've seen so far of it so I'm excited and the distribution for you know these books has been different than like you know what you would have for normal comic book they've been at like book fairs and stuff and like different things the outreach has been amazing so you know what's that been like for you great my thing is I want to put the hand like a comic book in the hand of every single child out there if I can how are you going to get kids to get into comics find the local comic stores you have to put the comics in their hands to begin with so I love the fact that they're getting DC superheroes out into every kid's hands they can because they're just going to want more that's how I started out you give me that first comic and DC superheroes is addictive and the characters are so relatable and they're so fun so you already know that once you give the kid one they're going to want more and they're going to love it my friend has a daughter and she's she just turned nine and she loves the DC superhero girls and we love that like the books are like you know available you know for her too and you get it from all aspects you get the tv and you get you know now those books and um shay fontana you know uh, what's it like collaborating with her you know how does that relationship and creative process move well i absolutely love shay shay ever since i met her became one of my favorite people um and we really have bonded at a friend level where she's really easy to talk to She's really clear on the ideas that she wants, and she's willing to, like, if you have an idea and you're willing to talk to her, she's like, oh, yeah, that could work really well. So she's very open-minded, but she's just an absolutely phenomenal, happy person. She has a great energy about her, and I just, yeah, I just love her. I can just keep complimenting her, because, yeah, we just, we bonded really well. And you'll be doing more with her, right? It's, it's going to be two of you teaming up for the next ones. I know nothing. In all honesty, you just have to wait for the announcements to come out. I'm an artist, and we're usually, like, unimportant about everything and everything. Just be excited for everything, because you know DC always puts out the good stuff. They put out the good stuff, and they the girls love it, so you know that they won't disappoint. Right. And, you know, uh, when you're doing, as opposed to, like, you know, your own stuff, because I know you got a DeviantArt page, it's, like, really big. And when you're doing, like, kind of the house style of, like, you know, DC superhero girls, how do you kind of do the balance of putting your own, you know, unique stamp on it, but keeping with, you know, the house style, you know, what, what's that like, walking that line? Um, it's, it's hard and easy at the same time. The first few tries at any new style, it is a little bit challenging, because you have to adapt. So you have to change the way, how the size of the figures, the size of their eyes, the way their movement is, so yeah, start off a little stiff, but then, like, the more I get used to it, the more it becomes out, and it doesn't come out in changing the way the character looks. It comes out in their expressions, in their movement, in their poses. Like, we all have a uniqueness that we have to our art, and it definitely shows. Like, you can tell my work, you can tell Yancy's work, and they're 
they're both fun and they both look what they should, but I, the, who we are comes out in our characters. And have you had the chance to, like, you know, do your own design on some of the characters that haven't appeared in the shorts or the movies? Um, no, everything I've designed so far has appeared in the books. I got a chance to, like, add in new characters and redesign some old ones, so that was really, really fun. Um, yeah, it's uh, moon. Um, I designed her scary outfit look. Like I got to take part in that. I got to design, redesign some old Green Lanterns and spaced out. So like the chances come up to redesign or add your little spin to make sure that the old characters from different universes of DC fit into the DC superhero girls look and world, so they don't look like they don't belong. They all look like they belong there. Who's your favorite to draw? Harley Quinn. She's just she's such a funny character. She's never standing still and she really tests me as an artist because you can't make Harley boring. So I think that tests me a lot and it makes me think of new poses. It makes me think of new expressions and I like that about her. And you had Harley, DC superhero girl Harley Quinn up here with you earlier, you know, like, so Tara Strong. You didn't know? No, I totally missed her. Yeah, she did miss her. Yeah. Well, she's downstairs right now, too. I had the pleasure of meeting her a few other times and she's, she's so sweet. Oh, my God. She is, yeah. I like her a lot. Well, and Harley Quinn's kind of like the breakout character of this DC Superhero Girls thing. It's like, I noticed she's on a lot more of the covers now, too. And, uh, um, it's her antics. Yeah, did you do the one with the dinosaur on the cover? I didn't do the covers. Yancy did the covers, okay. but I did take part in Pastimes of Superhero High. Yeah. That was one. That was actually the first book I worked on for DC Superhero Girls. And I got to draw dinosaurs. Yeah, like, but I love it. You know, she always Harley Quinn always has a different expression on her face than everyone else is doing, like, given whatever the situation. She's like, yeah, yeah, I know. So Harley, and who's the most challenging to draw, would you say? You know what? I'm just going to go back to Harley Quinn because she's my favorite, but the, the same reason she's my favorite is the reason she is the most challenging. The character that's the least boring and the character whose poses constantly have to change will be the challenge. But that's the fun part. The yeah. fun part is the challenge because how else are you going to grow as an artist if you don't challenge yourself? That's what makes it rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. And is there a favorite scene or, like, you know, that you, like, uh, got to illustrate? Oh, yeah, totally. Pick up out the bottle. The girls are creating their own comics in their own style. And oh, that's one of, so cool. And Supergirl style is actually my own personal style, the way I draw naturally, the really cutesy stuff. But some antics take place in these characters later on in the book, and those are my favorite parts to illustrate because they're just pure shenanigans. <laughs> and the combination of styles interacting, oh, you have to pick up the book. It's super no, that's funny. A, that sounds fun with their own unique and did you get to and have a, bat a little more you gotta pick it up because of Batacorn I created Batacorn it's a unicorn bat flying thing awesome. I think that's gonna be the blurb for this interview like meet Batacorn yeah, you know she thinks Schaefer the idea and then she's like can you draw that I'm like heck yeah Batacorn it's all about Batacorn yeah and did you get to like have you know the whole art style was that dictated to you like Supergirls is gonna look like this or did you get to have more freedom there because you're not doing it in the house style anything that was related to the house style I kept it that way um, the style that I got to develop was I basically developed that style uh-huh. and the other artists that came in um, Yancy and stuff they like I don't know who, who did the other designs whoever designed the other ones basically they gave me the really cool designs I got to redraw them unfortunately I think it's my suit I'm not sure might be pronouncing the name wrong the other artists on on out of the yeah, I forgot. Marcello. Marcello. Yes, Marcello did the designs for some of the other characters. I apologize, Marcello, if I mispronounced your name. Um, he designed them, and 
I got to draw them, and I did have to draw them based on how he designed them. So now, not only am I drawing the house style, I'm practicing all these other ones. And is there someone that you haven't gotten to, like, you know, draw or include these yet that you're itching to get to? Dexter. I just want to draw Dexter. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, he's one of my favorite characters, randomly, so Dexter. <laughs> all right, so um, in the bottle. Not out of the bottle, in the bottle. Right? Out of the bottle. Out. Out. I got it right before, but then I got it. Okay, all so. right, don't worry about it. Out of the bottle. When's that available? Actually, next month. In August. Start next August. month. All right. So look for Out of the Bottle with Batacorn. New, new back character next month. And this Garboska. Thank you very much. Thank you. And while I was doing that, Donovan, what were you up to? I actually made it, I was actually made it to the Batman family panel. And you had Tom King, Margaret Scott, writer Batgirl. Uh, Brian Edward Hill, who just wrapped up his run on Detective Comics, is going to be writing Batman The Outsiders. Uh, gosh, who else? Uh, various other people. Um, and um, it was fun. Uh, that's when they announced that Batman was going to get, be getting his uh, Hush-era costume back, which I was a fan of. Honestly, there was kind of a lukewarm response to that. People were kind of confused as to wh- why that was happening. I personally... I'm a I'm in the fan of the underpants on Batman. I know that there's a big deal on Superman, but like <laughs> everyone's getting their underwear back. Everyone. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I, I really think that he looks like a pajama wearing idiot when he doesn't have the underpants. It's like why does he need a belt? Um, but whatever. Like, like, oh, yeah. uh, I never thought of that. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I just think you need something to break that up. He just looks like he's wearing pajamas, and like, um, I don't like all the segmented Jim Lee lines around his costume. That makes him look like a puzzle. Every single too. So like. Yeah. The Rebirth costume is a separate right direction, but like this hush era thing was like the blue and the gray with a single bat. That's awesome. Like the only way it could have been better is if they brought out the yellow oval. But like, uh, I'm, yes, I miss them oval. I know. It, oh, isn't he supposed to be wearing it again because of uh, uh, Doomsday Clock? Yeah, and, 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 and Tony Daniel said that like Doomsday Clock is supposed to be like in the future. Yeah, but that, that would be his costume eventually, which is interesting. Because um, when, when Bruce had it in the Batman Inc., I thought it was cool. Uh, Dick had the single bat and he had the yellow oval. Actually, I just forgot that he did have the yellow oval for, for a little while. But, like, um. Right. Well, that uh, yellow oval is, like, the Batman, like, basically symbol, like, for me. Because that was, like, the logo, you know, for so long. Yeah, honestly, it's it's it's, it's the bat signal. So it's, like, it's, it, it's more of an icon than, like, the single bat. Even though the single bat makes more sense on a suit, the yellow oval is, like, that means Batman, you know. As opposed to like just an S for Superman, you need the S shield to Superman. But um, that, that being said, I mean, I'm I'm very happy uh, that he's getting his his, his old his classic costume back. Um, uh, Marguerite Scott talked about her run on Batgirl and uh, how she wasn't going to make it grimdark, but she was going to make it a lot more kind of a darker book, more of a serious book. And they talked about you know, how she's going to go, you know, and this has been talked about before about how. Her costume is changing to kind of be more of a throwback where it's like her year one suit. Um, although, I mean, I'm sorry, but like Barbara Gordon has, has her costumes have always been flirting with the idea that like anybody can figure out who she is. And this suit, she's not even wearing like a mask. She's like wearing like, you know, these big glasses and like, you know, these like Halloween pointy ears on her, on, in, in the middle of her hair. I, like, how is Gordon not going to know that she's back girl, but whatever. Um, in, in fairness, so many superhero costumes require you to have like a suspension of disbelief. Like, 
there's an early issue of Wolfman Perez Titans where they're all talking about their secret identities. And Donna Troy says, honestly, I, like, I don't wear any kind of disguise. I'm really lucky that no one has, like, connected Wonder Girl with Donna Troy yet. I can't, I, I can't believe that's a thing. I mean, like, like she looks exactly this. She just puts on the diff- different clothes. That's like, that's like Sailor Moon. Fighting, trying, and by moonlight. Yeah. Making love to Terry Long in the daylight. <laughs> Till he drives off the bridge in the night. She is the one named Donna Troy. (laughs) Sailor Donna. (laughs) (laughs) That's matters. Um, But like, I I gotta say that like, uh, I tried getting an interview with Margaret Scott, and she seemed very nice. It just didn't work out. But like, I don't know. She was down for it too. It, It was down the scheduling. Stella can be very, very, um, I think, nervous and I think even critical of who writes Barbara Gordon. And for, for good reason, because I, we, none of us like Gail Simone's run. And we like the Burnside run. We, we're less high on, on Hope Lars's run. I think that Margaret Scott has a really solid, positive foot going. And so far, I've, I've, I've kind of liked her run as, as we're recording this. Like, you know, her run's seen like a few issues in, and like, I've, I've liked it. I've liked it. So. From what I heard from her on the panel, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what more she does with Barbara Gordon because she just seems like, like a very smart writer, uh, and I'm excited by that. And uh, Brian Edward Hill, he said, you know, someone said, oh, so you're bringing these these characters to detention? He said, yeah. Uh, he says, I love Cassandra Cain, and she's one of my favorite characters. And like, I was the only man who like hooped and hollered, but there was there was a big like woo in the in the crowd. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he he said that like. Uh, that he's a gigantic Cassandra Cain fan, and that he's you know as long as he's writing books, she'll be in the books. And um, he's a he's a martial artist. Like he actually has a black belt, and I think Taekwondo or Judo or something. So like he he knows how to write martial arts and stuff. So that was kind of cool. That's 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 generally what I mainly remember from the, from the, the Batman panel because there, there wasn't any like you know special stuff. I text I started to text Dustin about it, and he never got back to me because I know that he always gets it from like the kind of the live blogs. Um, which I forgot afterwards, but like uh, that, that was that was fun to check out. After that, we went over for uh, the Death of Superman uh, press uh, hour, which uh, we met up with uh, Jeffrey Taylor. He's a podcasting friend of ours. You, you've heard us podcast with him on Amazing Spider-Man Classics because uh, he he came on for some guest episodes, and I've been on from Crisis to Crisis. I don't know if you've ever been on there. Only when we were doing the classics crossover. Oh yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah, so, yes. Yeah. So we we've been on from crisis to crisis with them. He he's mostly a Superman podcaster. He does from crisis to crisis with Bailey, and uh, I invited him along because Death of Superman is like an arc that him and Bailey did. Like him and Bailey together did the most comprehensive coverage for. And uh, <laughs> I told you that there was a lot of the Juggalos were back at this press event and drunk. And they got, like, escorted out. And I didn't see, like, what happened, but um, the guy who, like, runs these events, uh, like, the, the the press events for the Warner Brothers animation stuff, Gary, who um, you've heard us mention probably in these past few Comic-Con things over the years. Like, he he's, like, he's also done DC at DC, New York Comic-Con. Like, I, like, said to him, hey, what happened with those guys? He said, they were drunk. I'm not having that in my press room. I was uh. like, Ooh. I was like, Wow. Um, I don't but, know, how, how do they get up there? That's what, that's what I want, because I want to know. Usually vetted to get in those things. 
we sat at the press table with someone who we did the Batman and Harley uh, thing with. Uh, let me find his name. Because uh, him and I have been emailing since. Uh, um, James Whitham from the Down and Nerdy podcast was also at our table. So that, that, that was fun, you know. And uh, he, he remembered us from the last two years. He's like, he's like, where's your boy? And I was like, oh, he's at church camp this year. And like uh, him and the guy from Bleeding Cool is like, why would he go to church camp instead of San Diego Comic Con? It's like, oh, his mom wanted him to do it this year. Um, so <laughs> Jeffrey Taylor, um, us, uh, James from down and nerdy and someone who we refer to as cell phone guy. Uh, Don, do you want to, do you want to tell this story? <laughs> cell phone guy. Not really only cause I have to admit that it happened, but yes. Okay. So, oh, it's one of my favorite stories from Comic-Con just cause of how ridiculous it, like it is. Like, I can't believe this is happening. This. Okay. So. The first few interviews we're talking about, like the crew, are, are fine. You know, James Tucker, Vilbarosa, uh, I think Jay Olivia, but like um, they, they, they go about Rebecca, they go Rebecca Romaine, um, Jerry O'Connell. Uh, well, those were the cast members later on because the first one we're talking about the crew, they, they, they went fine. When we get to the cast, like like the gentleman who was voicing the Flash and Jerry O'Connell voiced Superman and Rebecca Romaine voiced Lois Lane. Sam, this, Sam Liu, uh, Jake uh, Castronena. Sam oh, he, 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 was the, he was the director. Um, Christopher Gorham, was he voicing Flash? Yes. Well, he was true. Okay, yes, yes. I'm looking at the list right now. So it's Jake Castroneta, James Tucker, Phil Barossa, Sam Liu, Christopher Gorham, and Jerry O'Connell and Rebecca Romaine, who were Superman and Lois. And Mystique. <laughs> um, when we when we use the talent, this guy is asking cell phone based questions. He's saying, "Oh, if there was like an app the Flash could use to save the world, what, what, what app would he use?" And that's fine. As a start, that's just kind of a goofy question, kind of just to kind of keep things loose. And then he, he then like his follow up questions were to be like about apps and stuff, or cell phones. And he did it a second time, and it's like that's just a little strange. That it, 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 it was clearly of an agenda. When he got to like, I can't even do this. We got to, we got to like <laughs> Jerry O'Connell and, and, and um, Rebecca, Rebecca, Rebecca Romaine. People who have been in like you know blockbuster shows and movies. Yeah, people who these are like A list careers. He, he, he was like asking the same questions, very straightforward, very off topic, because we would be asking questions pertaining to the movies. How would they like to record this stuff? You know, Superman dies. What's that like? And he's like, what if Superman had a had a phone app to do this or whatever? Something like. The, the talent isn't expect isn't going to be expected to just answer, um, and you, me, and the gen- the gentleman pressed to my left were visibly reacting like, "How does that get into here? Who, who is he?" And Jerry O'Connell and, and Rebecca May were gracious enough to be like, um, "Well, let's see." And then like, because you and I were like, "I, I, I know you were giggling. I know you were giggling." <laughs> you have your you have your very very like you know. Kind of like reaction, and this guy like interrupts Jerry O'Connell. He's like, "Um, excuse me, this is actually not funny. This is for my job." At that point, I'm I'm about to like grab this guy by the by the nostrils and, and toss him out. I had to bite my tongue when he was like, "Excuse me." I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like this is. I was not going to get into it. To yeah. Further interrupt the talent because we were all getting kicked out. I, I I was embarrassed at first. Like, oh no, was I like rolling my eyes too hard? But then like when I saw that, like, oh no, it wasn't me. Like everyone. Everyone afterwards like had the same reaction. Like, what was up with that guy? I'm like, okay, it wasn't just me. Like, <laughs> oh no, because because the guy on my left literally said out loud, "Who is this guy?" 
And I was like, you, you, can, probably, you can probably hear this on the, on the recording. I'm, I'm yeah, like, oh, you guys are going to hear this on the interviews. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. I, I'm just trying to get through it just to like not embarrass the talent because that's the worst. And Romaine and Okan were very gracious. They didn't let it, they didn't let it phase them. But I was like, I was like, just, just let this end. And when they, I don't know if he said anything after they were done or when they left, but well, he, I, he, he, he got up like, and left like almost after that. Like he whispered to some female that was sitting next to him. I don't know what it was about, but like he, he did not stick around after that. And, well, and it was where the last, and, and, and we kind of like, you know, like, uh, no, I don't want to say brushed him off. We were kind of like, oh, don't worry about, don't worry about. Like we, we basically like didn't engage him. When he like did that confrontation, but we talked well, about. I, I was trying to say to him, dude. All right, you know, there's a time and a place for that, and if you want to kind of end it with that, you know, that's one thing. But like, the, here's the thing: you'll hear in the interview the way he does it is so like like it, it throws you off balance, and it's so disconcerting, it's so like bizarre, and like it just seems unprofessional. Even if he's doing it for his job, which he claims he was, it, it felt like really. Um, and, just, 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 just kind of felt very like, like a, I don't know, hockey or whatever. Um, and I was pissed off because, like, when he whined about that, it interrupted like Jerry Connell to, 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 to like to whine about that. Like, okay, first of all, this guy is this is probably like like younger than twenty four years old. But I, I was, I was either going to say, dude, either you, either you do that at a certain point in the interview, the next one, or you got to get out because. Like you're embarrassing the entire table here, and like I was, when I looked up to tell him that he had he had left, he had left because I swear to God, I was going to slap him something silly uh, if he did that again. That was that was awful. And I talked about on these Comic Con like, you know, uh, different convention coverage shows that like uh, press room etiquette and different things that people did, and you don't interrupt the talent if you have a problem with another reporter at the table, you don't do it while in the like. Because he interrupted Jerry O'Connell to, like, chide us. So to whine at us, yeah. Yeah, like, like it's like, do that after Jerry O'Connell and Rebecca Romaine are gone. Um, Which indicated that he was embarrassed and so embarrassed that, like, he felt he needed to film himself. Because it's not like he was, like, like, like I'm not, not about to cry, but, like, on his way towards that. I don't know. I, I, I've, I've had some issues at press tables before, like, and, and I've, but usually when I have, like, I will either keep my mouth shut and not, like, confront someone at the table during the thing, or I will do it when the people are, like, gone, because it's... There's a freaking time and place. That being said, I'm almost glad that happened, because it's, it, it's a funny story. That that was, like, so weird in the moment. Like, it's, it's fun to have something to look back and go, oh my gosh, what was that? So, that being said, uh, and, and it was a positive experience like cell phone guy aside you know just talking to these people and we i really wish that rain wilson who's playing lex luther was there because that would have been awesome uh but that being said um here are the interviews for death of superman enjoy <laughs> nice to meet you guys fellas everybody nice to meet you thank you thanks, thanks for coming air yeah. five uh, cool Hey. hey, what's up? I'm back. How's it going? So first things first, um, and this is probably a question you might have gotten often, but how would you... You guys are the first round of the day, so I'll ask okay. away. 
How did you seek to adapt this story in ways that was different from the previous time the story was adapted? Man, that is the million dollar question because uh, one thing that I that uh, that I want that was kind of worried, you know, I guess kind of in the back of my head was what haven't we seen with Doomsday and Superman already? Like how many times do we got to beat a dead horse? No, you know, pun intended, you know, it's a, it's such an iconic story. Everybody knows Superman Doomsday, right? Like we all know Doomsday kills Superman. No. Right? Spoiler. Spoiler alert. How the hell do you make that interesting again? And, and you know, you have uh, Superman Doomsday, you got just uh, Batman vs Superman, you got, you know, it's been in Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, There's, Doomsday's been everywhere. James said from the get-go, we want to do a visceral approach to it. We want to go more uh, vicariously from the view of Metropolis. You know, it, it's not just about the fight. Yes, it's about the fight of Doomsday and Superman, but it's also about the fallout, the ramifications of seeing your champion being humanized in front of your eyes. You know, and that's something that you've never seen. You know, the, the humans of Metropolis haven't seen that before as far as, you know, even with Darkseid or anybody, uh, whether you look at War or any of the other, you know, films that came in this continuity. So uh, that was just kind of one of the, that was the first staple of trying to make it different was let's, let's not necessarily make it about the choreography of the fight, but it's about the emotional impact of the fight, the fatigue of the fight, what that does to Superman and the people who know and love him. So uh, hopefully that answers that answers your guys' question. That was just one, like that's where we started from to, to make it different. Did you work on this one and the next one is one unit or? Oh no, um, I was on this one and I uh, I got an opportunity to work on a, another project at, at the time. And um, so I was unfor I'm unfortunately not attached to Reign of Superman, but I did get to help do some of the scenes in this movie that set it up. So I got to, James let me have some fun drawing that stuff. So, so he's coming back. I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to watch the movie to find out. He comes back. <laughs> he comes back. No, my favorite thing to say in this is like, man, I hope Superman makes it out okay. <laughs> How do you deal with that finality, though, where, yes, you're killing off Superman, it's the death of Superman, but knowing that he's going to be coming back in a kind of such short order, how do you deal with that but still make this current project as interesting? I, I feel, uh, at least just in, in my personal experience, story over everything, you, you focus on the story you're telling right now. Yes, you want to lay the foundations and the groundwork for that, but that's where James comes in. Uh, you know, he's the mastermind. He's been the producer uh, on all these movies. You know, Sam's been the one, you know, directing most of them too. Uh, but that that's where James and, like, the, the head writers, that's where all their groundwork comes into play. Um, and so when we, we're given a script, James and I will sit down, or, like, in this case, Sam and I had to communicate with James and figure out what the movie we were trying to tell. And it, it uh, yeah, that whole... You just got to focus on the story you're trying to tell and the point you're trying to get across. And I have faith in James and the powers that be over there that they're going to help keep this into that, you know, I guess continuity into that vision, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, Is it just me? I'm like sweating like crazy. Sorry. <laughs> since the, um, did, since uh, I haven't seen the film yet, I'll be seeing it later on. Yeah, great. Yeah, the, uh, I, my, my assumption is that Superman dies at the end of this, but I, I could be mistaken. Well, yeah, and, oh, sorry. Um, yeah. since, it's a, since it's a trilogy of stories, the death, the funeral for a friend, and then the reign of the Superman, how is that middle part going to be dealt with, or is that all going to be lumped together? Because Reign of the Superman is the longest of them. Right, yeah. That's 2018. What, what I will say, Reign of the Superman gets its own movie for a reason. Uh, that that warrants the time. Uh, they, from what I've seen of it, and what I, I mean, we all work together, like Sam's and James' offices, we can throw stuff. That's how close we all work together. Um, from what I've been hearing about it, like, they're, they're 
this movie's gonna that movie's gonna kick ass, but, man. But um, <laughs> my my, my yeah, sorry, my question's more about mm. the funeral. Oh sure. Oh no no, that's definitely in in this first in this yeah that's okay. in this one yeah, yeah no no I mean you can't have a death of Superman movie and not have the funeral fallout okay you know into the next movie because that's kind of like uh, Bill Clinton still giving his eulogy <laughs> <laughs> no uh, we, I mean yeah there's certain things that we had to change certain th- uh, I that would have been kind of rad but he had to have a saxophone <laughs> you actually like, got the alternate him to like, cut you was know, him come in and record the, the lines the too. alternate cut was him in a saxophone and he was playing uh, <laughs> taps it just it wasn't working so we had to cut it what I'm do you mean it wasn't working that is not official do not quote that thanks <laughs> Were there things that, uh, obviously, besides the Superman and Doomsday fight, and we know the Justice League is in this, were there things that you, that the production team felt were absolutely essential from the original story to have in this, not just the whole broad strokes, but specific moments? Oh, like the stupid mullet teenager. <laughs> or, I mean, I mean, what is it? What, what was it? Cadmus? The whole... Uh, yeah, uh, double X on it. The, the whole uh, uh, habitat area. You got you got Maxima. You had Bloodwind. You had all these, yeah. these great characters. Guy Gardner discount yellow green lantern at the time you know and and it's like what so that aspect of it um the the way it works to clarify um sam and i both co-directed this movie sam uh co-directed act a and b and i co-directed or he directed acts a and b and i directed act c um so we both had to like his stuff dealt with a lot of the jla fighting uh doomsday a lot of the lois and clark uh relationship set up uh, and then I was the one that kind of had to come in and wreck it all up. Uh, and uh, but you know, it's uh, the great thing about that was the, the action and the sort of visceralness, the the uh, the hopefully the nonstopness of it won't work unless you're invested into the characters, unless you care about Superman, you care about Lois, you care about the JLA, which happens in Act A and B, which is what Sam does. So we both had to feed off of each other, and you know, and hopefully if either of us did our job the other sequence will come out great so going off of that question yeah um the decision to split up when you understand why he um, was drawn to the A and B and you the C mm-hmm. oh. how, how did you how did you um, go about splitting up the film directing duty oh uh that was already that was already uh, in decision before I came on board um and it was funny because I knew Death of Superman was coming up, and I was like, "Oh, cool! I hope I don't get to work on Act C because I, I, hopefully that doesn't happen." Because uh, uh, Joaquin DeSantos boarded uh, like a major part of that Superman Doomsday fight, which right. is, I mean, the guy you know, Voltron, the guy's awesome, mm-hmm. right? So it was like, oh, I don't want to have to go live up to that standard. And then they're like, "Oh, hey, you're doing the action shit." Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I have an action history background at, uh, at Warner Brothers. Uh, I tend to do a lot of fight scenes and action scenes uh, so I think it was just kind of like yeah let's get let's get this this guy to do this act you know because it, it was but it's also um, I feel that just because you're doing action or having violence doesn't mean you can't tell story you can still you can tell you can uh, excuse me you can still tell story through action and that's what the job that James tasked me with is like look I want this to be that all-out bare-knuckle brawl that I want you to feel tired when you're done watching this movie with Superman fighting Doomsday, but we need to track the heart. We need to track his, you know, his thought process. We need to. Tr- There's so many other things we have to track, and so I think that's why I got that handed to me. Um, and hopefully, you know, uh, it pays off, and you guys enjoy it. So. How closely did you try to mirror the splash pages from the yeah. As you know, it's you want to do that as closely as you can, but there's also the the run of the um, the risk of it not coming out right. Uh, and because we don't animate stuff here anymore, uh, most everything's animated overseas. We do some fixes here. Uh, so you, you can never really guarantee what quality you're going to get back. So, 
you try to do them or you try to pay, um, you know you try to pay tribute to them uh, but it's kind of one of those things where like what works on a flat you know still image won't work in a moving medium but uh, I'm curious I don't want to give it away but I want to see how many you guys can spot they, they are in there they are in there I mean look we're all fans uh, we, we love doing this stuff too so it's uh, they're in there cool. thank you very much okay, so I have a question Okay, um, great. I write for a tax site. For a tax site. Yeah. This is a little bit. I thought you said tax site. I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> April's a long um, way away. So this is going to be a little bit outside the box. Okay. If there was an iPhone app that could save civilization, yep. what would the app do? It would erase all your social media accounts. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. So, you want That's fine. Okay. So, so in this in this film, Flash is a part of a whole. He's part of the Justice League, and yes. it's it's a Superman film where he dies. So, is your approach to playing the Flash like kind of a team player, or are you still kind of doing like you know, this is the Flash, this is his, this is his life, and, and on this day his friend dies? How does your approach to Flash in this story? Well, I think there's a nice continuity to what we've established with The Flash in these movies, which is that he's kind of the linchpin of the Justice League emotionally. <laughs> like, he's the one who's been into the idea of this family since the beginning, um, despite resistance from some of the other members, and he's the guy who's kept the group together. So there's a nice, um, there's a nice moment in this movie where The Flash has some exciting personal news, and you actually get to see the Justice League family kind of turn around and embrace him in a way that we haven't seen before, um, which is a great setup for then, uh, it kind of lays the emotional groundwork for then the big battle with Doomsday later in the movie. Um, so you get uh, that these people really care about each other um, and you get to see the Flash fight like you've never seen him fight before because um, you've, never you know, you've never seen his family members in this much danger. Well, a few years ago um, at the Billy Center during the Justice League War premiere, you brought your kids uh, yeah. to the movie, and I'm sure they loved it. I assume they loved it. They so, did. They did. Oh, good. Um, so I'm you curious. suck, Dad. <laughs> um, so what's it been like? You know, I don't know how much of your other work you kids see, but it's been like as a father playing a um, superhero. It's been great, man. You know, it's like so much of what you do, or what I've done as an actor, like a lot of it has either been inappropriate for the kids or is, is just tonally not what they're into. Um, but these movies, uh, they really like. And, and now my daughter is getting old enough where she started to watch them and she really likes them too, um, which has been really cool because I've got a new Netflix show coming out August 10th called Insatiable and none of my kids are allowed to watch that. <laughs> Oh, the that today. Oh, yeah. It's, what do you think? It's wild. It's wild, right? Crazy idea. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, is there any adjustments you made to playing the Flash uh, this time around? Like, is there any sort of, like, you know, uh, running activity to it? Or is it all more dialogue and emotion-based? Yeah, it's always more dialogue and emotion-based. And it's always based on the script. Like, you know, you may have ideas of stuff you want to do. Um, but if it's not written in there, then, you know, you can't you, you you have to tell the story that um that's there on paper uh, the nice part about it for me is these guys are always open um to at least letting me play and improvise sometimes if something strikes me is particularly with the with the funny stuff um if something strikes me in the moment as as funny then you know they'll let me go and 
Um, and sometimes that stuff ends up in the movie, which is always fun. I was going to ask you about that, actually. Yeah. Because The Flash is usually the comic relief in a more serious storyline. Yeah. And is that going to be part of this? Yeah, for sure. Or is sure. it a little bit more emotional? It's, it's both. It's both. Early on in the movie, you get more of the comedy and the fun banter and the interaction between the characters. But then things get pretty serious in the end, obviously. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, in the beginning. And, and you get to see more of it. Because I think you need to establish the emotional relationship between these characters before the trauma of what happens in the end. Um, so you get some really great moments, um, I- including uh, my first uh, time uh, tackling the role of the Batman, um, which is one of my favorite little scenes in this movie. <laughs> Do you have a favorite line? Yes. Yes, yes. (laughs) My favorite line is, I am Batman. (laughs) You'll see, it's great. (laughs) Had you read the story before? No, I I wasn't a big comic comic book guy growing up. That's okay, nobody's perfect. (laughs) It's true, it's true. Um, so, So no, I never read it. I mean, I remember it coming out because it was such a big story you know it was all over the news uh, when it came out so uh, I remember that but I'd never read it but to me that's kind of one of the big selling points of this movie is is that it also works for people like me who don't have a big emotional connection to this story Um, this is just a really good movie you don't need to have that um, to enjoy this film I think if you have that you will enjoy this film on a different level um but uh, for the rest of us, it's just a really fun ride. Is it Wally or Barry? It's Barry. It's Barry. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. Neither of them were in the original book anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They showed up at the funeral. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite mobile app? Yeah, Barry was dead. My favorite mobile app? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> right now, I think it's Hold.io. Oh, one of those I.O. games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it takes it's a two it's limited to it's a two minute game. It stops at two minutes, so it's great at the gym when you're resting in between sets. So you don't because like I used to be on Twitter sometimes at the gym, and I'd be sitting in bed, look up, and be like, oh damn it, I forgot I was exercising. <laughs> but this game's great. It's two minutes and it's over. And it's like all right, back to the back to the weights. All right, thanks you guys. Thanks a lot. Pragmatically, <laughs> the real reason is the first movie made a gazillion bucks. Really. <laughs> it did really well. You're welcome. The thing is, is that, uh, you know, Bruce wasn't able to tell the full story because of the running time. And so um, our bosses this time around said, well, what if we give you two movies to tell more of the story? And um, I took that as an opportunity to get to some of the characters that didn't make the cut on Doomsday, which you'll see in this next movie. Um, and also, I think... The death of Superman needs time to build to and sink in. And you don't... Like in Doomsday, the first 15 minutes was when they pretty much got killed. (laughs) So in this movie, the whole movie is about what leads up to the event. And then we have all this time to show the event. So I think it gives you more um, of an impact. Because him dying, you see how hard it was... Or what he went through uh, prior to dying, you know. Um, so I think it has a, it, it, it hopefully has a bigger impact. And then in the aftermath. I mean, you we end the movie basically with him dead, and it's like, wow, what happens next? 
And so um, it's not wedged in a, another movie. It's, it is the movie. So, so um, writer, um, person who worked on this film, the writer, uh, was is Peter Tomasi. Yeah. So um, he's done a couple of animation things, like Wendy 1 or 2, but he's mostly done... What was that? What uh, did he do? I, I think a Green Lantern, like anthology film. Oh, okay. Like, so, um, but he's mostly um, stuck to comics. Um, yeah. So he's coming from a claimed Superman yeah. run. I'm just curious, uh, recruiting him, um, saying to him as a writer, how did you guys think of him using uh, well, we always try to use comic book writers or writers who, you know, we know have nailed characters a certain way. Actually, with Pete, we we wanted to use him on some of the Damien theme properties because I really mm. thought he he really made that character. I loved what Grant did with the character, but I think Pete was the one who made him the likable character that he is now, according to some people. I love Damien, but anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, just the way things went around, it turned out he was more he was available for this project and so it just kind of was luck of the draw with that one but um, we love his work he's a great writer for DC and we try to work with him any chance we can so this is in the continuity and I think the earlier movies have kind of gone with the new 52 thing of Superman and Wonder Woman being a couple yeah. did you kind of how do you transition to making um, the traditional Lois Lane Superman pairing of this do you deal with that at all or? Uh, yeah we um, the thing I wanted because I, you know, I'm very, I'm pro because it's the continuity I kind of had to set up when they told us this is what we're doing. Because uh, when I got the gig, I didn't know we were doing continuity. That was something they sprang on me right after, you know, I, you know, signed the dotted line, as it were. Um, so I was very wanting to be very consistent with the continuity. So when this came up, I realized, well, it could work if. Superman and Wonder Woman are still dating, but it it would be have a stronger impact for for all fans if it is Lois. But I didn't want it to just be oh, throw it away. Don't don't acknowledge that Wonder Woman and Superman dated. So we do. If when you see the movie, you'll see there's we don't forget that it happened. But in the context of the movies, they went on basically a couple of dates and they kissed twice. <laughs> I mean, you know. An adult person understands that people break up, so... What? Yes, I know. Even superheroes <laughs> break up. And I never bought that whole Wonder Woman date and Superman thing anyway. Yes. Yeah. And we acknowledge that. I mean, when you watch the movies, we don't forget about it. It is acknowledged. We carry it through. Um, and and then it was the heavy lifting was to make people realize that... Yeah, Superman, Clark loves Lois. He fell in love with Lois. And uh, anyway, that's... I was going to ask about, like, the kind of continuity, because when you guys started using the Flashpoint, the, co the comics and the look was very New 52 inspired. <coughs> now with Rebirth, there's kind of a, a move back. You guys did the Judas Contract. Yeah. Um, which I really enjoyed. There's, uh, there's a lot more sort of a wholesome DC yeah. history kind of being pushed forth in the comics and, and mm -hmm. lately in these movies. Yeah. So with this... Uh, how do you guys handle that kind of like like look in terms of like the continuity because Superman's wearing his old 52 costume is there a chance to kind of continue along with that or is there kind of like just a more historical uh, adaptation well I put it this way you know we were our original designs were new 52 inspired but if you AB them to what was actually in the comic they're not that close and in fact Phil's Superman design actually looks a lot like what the rebirth design is I mean it, the only thing we negotiated was 
everyone has the little high collar. But all the other details, like, I mean, the, the New 52 comic book version, Superman had armor, shoulder yeah. shit. What does he need armor? <laughs> He's Superman. Right. But, the puzzle so costume. we didn't do that. I mean, we have him in a form-fitting suit. It's made of some material, but it's not like armor. Um, you know, so there's, if the, I mean, maybe as an artist, I see details, and I'm like, well, that's not the same, and our Wonder Woman isn't anything near what their New 52 Wonder Woman was. Yeah. So we, you know, again, we got, we got tied to that event because, you know, DC and then our bosses at Home Video said, oh, this will be a big event. We should tie it all together. Well, we went into it thinking, we'll use this as an excuse to just jumpstart a new continuity. But we're not really beholden to what they did in New 52, which is good because it was over with in a few years. <laughs> um, but... Basically, Just League War and Throne of Atlantis are the only new 52 things I can say are directly inspired by that. But our Batman movies focused on Damien, who predates the new 52. Um, you know, Teen Titans, we adapted an old story. We just, uh, Just League Dark, it kind of is new 52, I guess, but it's its own thing. It's a Constantine movie, so... Um, we never went into this trying to mimic New 52. Having said that, we've gone at it from a more classic sense. So, yeah, we are evolving toward not necessarily rebirth. Because the other thing is their lead time is, you know, they can decide they want to change their whole continuity in a couple of months. Animation, something, this movie has a, started almost a year and a half ago. So, I mean... You know, we can't base what we do on what they're doing because our lead times are totally different. So, um, but I will say that our continuity is evolving. The characters are evolving. Um, maybe they are getting in a more traditional sense. We're kind of letting it evolve the way the characters are and then just keep it true to who those characters always have been. And, it, you know, there's surface details. Maybe they're New 52 inspired, but mostly it's just Phil's design choices. So... So yeah. be, being that uh, that continuity of those films, are the Justice League a little bit more involved maybe than the traditional Death of Superman story? Oh, in this one? Yeah. I mean, we well, A, we have the heavy hitters in this story. I mean, the original Death of Superman. No fire and ice? No fire and ice, <laughs> no blood wind, no uh, Guy Gardner. We actually have his actual... <laughs> <laughs> the real Justice League, I should say. And uh, so I, and the, the thing I, I like Jordan. about it is we, we, we take time <laughs> to show their interpersonal friendships with Superman. It's not just about, oh, you know, saving the day. We actually show them being a team and doing mundane team things like having meetings and, and uh, you know, kind of being bored and talking about each uh, giving each other relationship advice and stuff like that. So... So I, I think we get a lot of a lot of the story gets helped by being in a continuity and we see their relationships and so when the ultimate thing happens of him dying it means something. How did you go about deciding uh, what aspects of the middle story, the funeral for a friend, to be able to use in either this movie or the or the next one? Because that that's yeah. I've always thought of that as the, the much more emotional and impactful aspect of the, of the three stories. Basically, you know, the movie, well, it doesn't quite end with his death. It ends with his funeral and then what happens. So the, that part of the story is kind of split between the end of this movie and the beginning of the next movie. I mean, they weren't going to give us a whole movie 
of people grieving. <laughs> that they weren't going to do. Why not? I would have bought it. <laughs> you would have bought it. No one else would have. <laughs> I mean, you know. So our, our, our way of negotiating that was splitting that story kind of in two pieces and, um, and give it its moment. Um, so it's there. And that's, that's how we did it. Excellent. They gave us the signal. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Yeah, Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, James. Appreciate Very it. Thank you. Jerry's grabbing over. Thank you, my camera. Back over. You got about five minutes with these two. Make them great. Hi, guys. But I promise Hi, guys. These, these two will make them great. <laughs> In fact, they'll make them. Hey, everyone. Hello. So how hard was it to pretend to be in yeah. love with each other? <laughs> um... I thought the oh here we go selfie time yeah. <laughs> um, you know what was the funnest thing for me was watching the final product, and because we record at different times. That's yeah, just ironically, how Jerry and I get to play out one of the most classic love stories of all time, and we didn't get to work together one day. On this. Really? No, we do all of our dialogue separately from one another. And then they set it to the animation, and then we go in to tweak our dialogue, and that's the first time we see our scenes together and see if they worked or not. But um, we really have a rapport with each other. It's really, I mean, it's... I, I, I mean, Go figure. <laughs> uh, it, it's amazing that we were not in the same room at the same time, but we just had like a, a cadence and a, and a rapport. It was really, it was really cool to listen to. It was really fun. I think it, and I, I think it really helps helps the movie, you know, because Death of Superman, you know, um, is a lot about Clark telling Lois, you know, his true identity. All, a lot about him and. Um, you know, that's what's so great about these DC animated films is that while the action is great and you're going to get a great fight with Doomsday and the whole Justice League is going to come and try and get in on it, um, it's it's the drama that's really good as well. They do a great job. We're, we're, we're really proud to be a part of the DC animated universe right now. Well, since you both have backgrounds as superheroes already, <laughs> secret identity. I was obsessed with that. Mystique as a kid. is, is that? Mystique is way better than oh. my secret identity. Come on. Did you play it? Was that a superhero? Uh, uh, you know, is nothing to shake your stick. I know, but he's not a superhero. Please, like, let's not, let's, let's. Then why does he need a secret identity? Yeah. Uh, you're, I, is that I, what that was about? That's very nice of you. I never really thought of Andrew Clements, the character I played in my secret identity as a superhero. That's fine, but. Let us not insult Mystique and <laughs> and the lore that comes with that by by comparing those two, please. Um, by the way, right after this, Rebecca um, is we're painting her body blue. We're gonna walk the floor, <laughs> and I have my and I have my my Magneto helmet, and we're gonna go out there and tear it up. That'd be hilarious because people would be like. She looks nothing like the Mystique from the movie. Keep the shirt on, too, and you'll make people's heads explode. <laughs> like, people taking selfies, not even like, yeah, that's, that's one of the best, the best Mystique I've ever seen. Yeah, it's a pretty good Mystique pretty outfit. Close. It's, it's all right. It's her look-alike contest. And like, you know, like, like, Hair's all wrong, but that's pretty good. Too blonde. So Not you, tall enough. Did you lobby to bring her on to play Lois at all? Oh, uh, no. No. I think that was an idea they had. Yeah. I mean... I couldn't believe it. It's such an iconic role. And I, you know, we're children of the 80s, so my reference is is Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder. And getting in there and 
playing out this love story between Lois and Clark and, and saying dialogue that was familiar, dialogue that I remember from when I was a kid, it, like, it got emotional for me. It was really overwhelming. I'm teary-eyed. I'm much younger. My reference is Dean Cain and oh. teary oh. Now we're talking. Cherry and there was an iPhone app that could save civilization. Um, what would that do? Whoa. iPhone app that could save civilization. Um, well, we... The question is really not that fun. Well, we are in... <laughs> and I write for a text, so I apologize. No, it's... No, 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 don't it's worry about it. It's kind of funny. My, um... I mean, keeping it Death of Superman themed, any sort of guidance in helping to take Doomsday down would be somewhat helpful in an app. Like an anti-Doomsday app. Uh, and when I say Doomsday, that's the evil character in Death of Superman. Um, Maybe Jimmy's signal watch to call Superman. You could call him an Uber. Just oh, get him out of there. I, I will say this. Now that Rebecca and I are a part of this DC universe, um, we are part of the Justice League alerts, and they alert us um, <laughs> when something's going on and, and they need us around the world. I'm going to take it away from the DC Universe and go back to my mystique roots and say it would be some sort of metamorph app, <laughs> nice. which is my favorite superhero. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. What, what do you think is the most interesting aspect of Clark and Lois's relationship? Well, in Death of Superman, I think it's the fact that Clark has yet to tell Lois that um, he's not only Clark Kent. So that's that's pretty interesting when you're yeah. withholding a secret like that. I think the weight of that knowledge for Lois Lane really becomes apparent when she witnesses the huge battle between Superman and Doomsday. Um, I think it really, I mean, obviously it's a lot to take on when your boyfriend tells you that he's not exactly who he said he was but yeah I think watching this massive battle go down it makes it that much more emotional to do research for this I did go out to dinner with Rebecca <laughs> and I told her I was you told her your secret yeah. identity yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll never guess my secret identity that's funny is that Thanks, it guys, Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. I hope you're really going to do that call just saw you guys. Yeah. You did just I don't know what you're talking about. I did just yeah. see you guys. <laughs> I've um. What um, other what other things were you at today? I did a, this other thing, this other show. Injustice. Have you heard of teasing? <laughs> <laughs> I. Um, you can give us the Young Justice spoilers here, right? I'll let. Let's talk about that. Skip this Superman. So designing Superman. Yeah. When he comes back. How big will his hair be? Yeah. Uh, are you asking if we gave him a mullet? Is that what well, you're asking? Well, I'll get in trouble in some circles if I call it a mullet. Really? Uh, one of his colleagues is arguing that it's not a mullet usually. So. Uh, it depends who the artist is. I think right. that was a mullet. I feel like it was Long a mullet. Hair. Sure. <laughs> the Dan Jurgens. If you could look. tie it back in a ponytail without <laughs> it being short. Does that mean it's not a mullet? Okay. I, I guess Tried I don't know yet. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we failed the limitations city. of how we define a mullet, but um, <laughs> we'll have to wait and see, guys. You know, no, I don't want to give anything. anything he might away. not come back. This could be the last yeah. Superman movie. No, yeah, we, you know, we might replace him with some, I don't know, cyborg or a 
snot-nosed kid with a leather jacket. Uh, so what are some challenges with getting a 90s aesthetic with some yeah. of the designs and scenes to 2018? Oh, um, thank you. Uh, I don't know that I really... We, we weren't doing a one-to-one adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, it, you know, because we already established the continuity, it wasn't... It, this huge challenge to figure out like how to adapt the stuff you know had we been doing I always have these like idealized what if versions you know and uh, in my mind if we were to adapt that comic book like from page to screen trying to do a one to one I'd want it to be animated by like you know mid 90s madhouse like the Kawajiri uh, you know ninja scroll stuff and just go over the top with everything because that's how with the 90s comic books felt you know what I mean um, but we're not doing that and we were never going to get those guys so <laughs> we, we work with what we got and you know it was more it, it, it's, it gets easier the more in continuity movies you do because you've already designed the main cast maybe tweaking things here and there but you're not like reinventing the wheel so it's just about introducing the new characters like um, uh Doomsday, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, it wasn't so challenging as much as just fun to cut loose on a big uh, monster character like that. How did you go about designing Doomsday? What did you embellish from the comics? How much did you shoot it? I I feel like it was pretty faithful, you know what I mean? Albeit done in my style, I think that, like, you know, I can't remember exactly what he looks like in the comics. Once I've looked at the material and then adapted it, I usually forget. I mean, I'm running out of hard drive space at this point especially for comic book characters you know like I end up just remembering what we ended up with but I always try to be really faithful I think that the the containment suit that we did I think is pretty faithful to the look it's about striking that balance of like nods and homages and reverence the comic without being handcuffed to it because you know um, comic book artists have to wear so many hats and not all of them you know, are brilliant designers. You know, fundamentally, the, the the main strength of a comic book artist has to be storytelling, right? So, but they have to design their characters right on the page. So we're lucky that we get to specialize in animation. So I'm able to kind of distill their thing down into something that'll work for the medium. Where was that fine line that when you're not trying to do a shot by shot adaptation of something, but it, but it's, and again you're dealing with such an iconic story, you yeah. don't want to. Where is that? You got to capture the feeling, man. You got to capture the spirit of it, and you have to be faithful to the tone, you know. But it's a different medium, you know. I think we get kind of unfairly criticized for not being faithful enough to comic book source material because our stuff is hand drawn it but we're film you know what i mean right, exactly. we're the film medium right. you know the if you watch the avengers or any of these like superhero films um they don't get uh, raked over the coals for not being faithful to one arc or what. They, they, it's did you what? get the spirit of it <laughs> well, I, true, I don't you know yeah. and i'm a huge fan of all that stuff but it's like did they get the spirit of it? Yeah, they sure did. We're the same thing. We're closer to them than we are to comics. I mean, we are that just in, in you know, drawn form. So it's like, you know, did, the, did you capture the spirit of the comic book? And I think that we, in this case, we absolutely did. Awesome. In yeah. the, um, I love, like, uh, in the Judas Hattrick movie, 
the, the prologue, your redesign of like the Robin suit. I thought that was one of the great okay, cool. redesigns of that character. But you also designed him for season one of Young Justice, season yeah. two of Young Justice, designed season three of Young Justice. so many times. You're, uh, <laughs> and I'm a really big fan of your style. So Thank you. with these different shows, these different continuities, and this is like a continuation of like, yeah. we're just talking like the DC, DTV continuity. How do you approach just taking the same character with your style and just redesigning them constantly? It's, I mean, I think with Robin, it's it's always that's a, that gets to be a challenge in some ways when you when I'm ha- when it, like if I have to do another if I had to do another uh, Dick Grayson at you know a, in his teenage years, but not in the Young Justice continuity, right? I think I, I think that would add a wrinkle because I'm like, damn, I've already done that. How do I do this differently? I think with a character like Robin, a lot of these legacy characters, it's cool because they're different, like Jason Todd and and Tim Drake and 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 Damian Wayne and Dick Grayson are all different people. And then there's the narrative context that we put them in, and all that stuff determines how you approach the design. You know what I mean? Like what we were trying to do with Young Justice demanded different things than what James wanted me to do with the character and son of Batman. And right. so, you know, in, that's a clear example where it's like, oh, well, we have this whole ninja tra- ninja background where he he's part of the League of Shadows or whatever. So, you know, with his outfit, we had elements from the the League of Shadows gear that we incorporated into the suit. So it's it's definitely about leaning into the narrative context to allow us to be like to find something new you know what i mean and also for me man i'm always trying to do build a better mousetrap right like i always wanted to be better than the last time so typically i'm not if i did it a couple years ago i i think oh, i got a better take on that now you know what i mean Super cool. and i'll keep doing it until they tell me to stop how did you approach the the human characters like mom hawk and lois did, did you borrow from from anywhere specific for them? Not specific, but archetypal. Okay. And, I, you know, trying to get something iconic and classic because they are such well-established icons and they're, they're beloved, you know, part of the mythology. And they, they're trickier to me than Doomsday. Doomsday is like, dude, just go to town, you know? Certain things have to be there crazy bone spikes or whatever <laughs> mountain of muscle kind of thing but like you walk in a, a you know it's a more of a tightrope you know and a balancing act with iconic characters like Mon Pa Kent that have to evoke that that sort of legacy there's a weight there you know um, so I'm always trying to get into that like headspace like how do I be incredibly faithful to this tradition you know what i mean but do it in my own style so and i think you know with those characters is there's a tenderness and a like humility to the to their inherent to their storyline and to their to their uh to their background so i i try to think about those things lois has to have you know a, a street wise savvy like a toughness to her but also be tender and like you know sort of uh, you know warm you know what I mean she has to have a lot of range so like I think about a lot of those things I also think about how would a a, a professional like you know uh, go-getter you know what young woman in her profession like what would her wardrobe be you know I'm lucky because my wife actually uh, works in fashion design so I'm always like let's 
get some Pinterest mood boards going. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, that's, that's part of it, man. Part of it is doing that research and being really into it and trying to think like these characters and imagine yourself in their shoes. You know? I think did you, did you redesign anybody for this one? Was there anyone you were looking forward to redesigning? This one, I don't think so. I mean, it's not a huge cast, really. Did I do Mercy over for this thing? I can't. It's been a long time since I worked on this movie. And I was like, we were, I think we were just starting to get Young Justice off the ground again when I was doing this. So I was doing both at the same time. I think I, think I might have designed, I think we might introduce Mercy in this one. But I don't think there was a bunch of redesigns. Yeah, I think it was just about the new characters, maybe some streamlining of existing models, but it was really, you know. And I had a lot of help from Studio Mir, who did the animation, because they, one of their character designers uh, was my assistant on this, so I got a lot of help. Right. Do, you, do you remember uh, when you first read the comic as a kid? The poly bag, was yeah. all up in black. I, I remember being... Like not really believing it, you know what I mean? Yeah. What was it? Eighty nine? Is that when it came out? Yeah, I remember. It was pre ninety three. Oh, was it ninety three? Okay. No, it came out uh, November eighteenth of nineteen ninety two. Ninety two. We're all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Look at that. That was perfect, Anthony. Just blacked out. (laughs) I I, I did the single most comprehensive coverage of Return of Superman. Oh, cool! Wow. All right. Uh, I want to check in, that in out. podcast form. Oh, neat. Okay. <laughs> I got to check that out. Yeah. Where can I find that? Uh, from Crisis to Crisis. Crisis Superman to Crisis? Podcast. Okay. I'll give you the website. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, so what he said. Uh, but no, I don't remember. I mean, I was, you know, I'm telling anyone, I was more of a Marvel guy. I mean, to be honest with you. But, uh, and I didn't like, at the time, I wasn't feeling the look of Superman at that time. But I do remember, like... You know what I remember? I remember my friends that weren't even into comics were like, yeah, I got that Death of Superman joint. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, well, welcome to the nerd club, I guess. You know, but yeah, everybody picked it up. Everybody no had like what that. you what you were into. Yeah. Can we polybag the movie? Definitely. Yeah. They should. Dude, they totally like black, do that. The, the, the swag or the black wristband? With the, that yeah, song. right. That's going to be that retailer exclusive type thing. That, <laughs> that was the beginning of the end of the, the speculator. Wasn't it like kind of right around then that it was yeah. like the speculator yeah. boom? Uh, it ruined everything. No. <laughs> uh, but it's cool. It's fun to work on something like that all these years later, you know? Um, I love Superman, so I'll work on any Superman project they ask me to do. <laughs> Gary loves Superman. I'm going to check out his podcast. Yeah. And we're going to be doing a commentary oh. for the, the, the day the movie comes out. Okay. Thank you very Ooh, much. Right. Giving you Sam Lou. Sam Lou. I'm going to just leave it Thank you. Oh, I think I started with that. <laughs> so you have been said earlier uh, in our roundtable interviews as sort of the co-director directing like the first half of the movie. Um, was that your decision or, or did you find it uh, easy for your set of skills? Um, I guess, well, the, the, the story, I guess, behind it, right, is that uh, the, our, the studio that we're, we worked with on this was uh, Studio Mirror, right? Um, they were slotted to basically storyboard about a third of it. And so um, the first two-thirds is a... I think very emotional, and it's uh, it's, it's very precedent upon the relationship between 
um, Clark slash Superman and his relationship with Lois, right? And so I felt like it was a very sort of like like a specific sort of windy, twisty road of his their relationship development, and which I didn't think that uh, they were going to be able to get overseas. And so the Act 3, right, which was basically the big Superman finale fight, um, I kind of felt like it was a little bit easier to sort of navigate as far as like, you know, um, progressing characters and stuff like that. So, um, so I just thought that, and also mirrors like you know, I mean, they did like, you know, Avatar and like you know, um, Voltron and all that stuff. So, so they're great at fighting, you know, or action and stuff like that. So, uh, it just made sense to me, anyways, uh, that they would pro- they would probably be better suited to uh, basically do the big fight at the end. Okay. Worked as a storyboard uh, artist on the um, Superman Tuesday <coughs> um, film, right? Yes. I was curious. So, your experience there, was there something, things you were consciously trying to avoid that you remember doing that you didn't replicate it in this film? Um, yeah, I mean, um, obviously, you know, no, seeing, you know, as everybody has, like, what, or that are fans of it that wanted to, anyways, um, you know, the, like Doomsday is like you know you, you 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 see it and you know what it's about right and so we didn't want to obviously do the exact same thing um, I think part of it helped because now that it's a, it's a James Tucker movie you know he made it part of his continuity you know and so um, it's it's much more and also with, because it's his continuity I think uh, people that have been following along they already know these characters or are familiar with these characters so we don't have to do a lot of like you know um, catching up. And we can sort of move on, and so the the first two thirds of this movie again is just this this relationship story about like Superman trying to come to terms with you know um, his life and his love for Lois, um, and so it's very very different than obviously what was happening in um, uh, Doomsday, um, and so uh, yeah, I mean it, it, I think just by nature it's very different. So there wasn't a lot of you know trying to be, oh make sure we don't do this. I mean the fight. Yes, obviously. Um, we didn't want to do the same. Inevitably, some of it is kind of like, wow, how do we do... How do you kill Superman? You know what I mean? you gotta, you got to make it feel big, and you got to take him out of the atmosphere, and then you got to drop him back down to the planet. Like, you know, that makes sense. So. <laughs> the movie gets tweaked at all once you were able to bring on the real-life couple to play um, Clark and Lois? Um, or, um, did you play up that relationship more because you had them? You know, actually, just the... It made sense to, to because of what we were trying to do because it was such a I mean um, emotional anchor yeah I think from the very beginning we kind of knew what we were going to make and that's partially probably a reason why you know James thought of Rebecca you know what I mean because it, we do want that familiarity that sort of genuine sort of like you know chemistry type of thing so um, but also I think you know I, I mean even just listening to her voice like you know, she needed to be tough. She needed to be sort of proactive and not, you know, kind of shy or mousy or any of that kind of thing. Did you play up that aspect of it from what was in the original script because you got her to be Um, no, I mean, she just sort of fit what we were, I think, thinking kind of a thing, you know? Um, because, again, we don't, we don't have a lot of time with these things. We make, like, speed these a year, you know? It's... We have a very, very quick turnaround, and it's, you know, uh, so we have to make decisions up front. So, um, again, we don't have a lot of time to experiment and redo things and stuff like that. You know, we, have, we don't have cameras. We just you know, <laughs> shoot like this and animate it, you know, and then 
yeah, we have to edit what we have, and that's, that's it, you know? <laughs> yeah, we can't say, like, nah, you know, we'll just reboard this and, you know, have them reanimate something totally different. But we don't have the budget or time for that, so, yeah. This may be a dumb question, and, and it, it might be involved with spoilers, so feel free to say no. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> uh, this involves continuity to start from uh, Justice League War. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time you guys did uh, the Superman Doomsday story, mm-hmm. you had Lex Luthor in the story, and he does feature probably later on with like, with, like the Reign of Superman. Will we be seeing the first iteration of this Luthor in it, or is he just not in the movie? Um, wait, in, uh, in this film. In this film. Um, Rain Wilson was in as Lex Luthor. Yeah, Rain Wilson's the our Lex Luthor in this one. Okay, so. This is the introduction of Lex Luthor. Will he have the lion name? <laughs> um, there's a lot of you and, know. And I mean, the protoplasm girlfriend. No, not yeah. There's it's it's funny because I we're we're fans as well do you know what I mean because again like a lot of us were you know just like a lot of the audience like we were we were fans of things or we had our opinions we had things we hated and we had things that we liked and so we just happened to be in a, a position now where we can put in the stuff that we liked and the stuff that we didn't like we can kind of shy away from so I think though I think most people can kind of agree the protoplasm girlfriend is a little uh, maybe not what do you mean decision. I'm just saying that's my my opinion so <laughs> was there anything that like you guys like said we don't want to do this from the comic book uh, in terms of this adaptation that you may have done in the uh, previous movie? Um, I think that's the hardest thing about uh, I think just stories in a way because I think I mean I go through this with board artists and also people that are trying to sell stories right is like um, a story is I think a combination of a things that basically sort of proves the point that you're trying to make mm-hmm. And so certain things, again, when you board is like that you may love that shot, but if that shot doesn't put further the story, we're going to have to cut it. So a lot of times that kind of happens in the creative process as well. It's like, what are we trying to, what's the story we're trying to, what's the point of our story, you know? And so I know as fans, sometimes like, you hate it because you're like, I love this moment, but it doesn't ser- service the story that we're trying to tell. So sometimes we have to cut it, you know? Um, and again, it becomes very um, subjective, you know, and, and like... A lot of people, hopefully a lot of people agree, but a lot of people, some people are not going to agree with it, you know? Where's so. blood wind? <laughs> I don't want to see it if Bibbo's not in it. It's like third time blood wind. It's been brought up at this table. Blood wind. Obscure characters in creation. Yeah. He's, he's Martian Manhunter. <laughs> he is, but he don't know that at the time. No, he don't. Not at the time. So there we go. Yeah. People have things that are close to their heart, which uh, I do too, you know? Was there anything that like you were looking forward to doing that was new that that you could do with this story that wasn't done before? You know, um, I think again, yeah, I think in Doomsday, you know, uh, it's tough because I think it's, it it does feel like multiple stories crammed into one. You can't you can't sort of you can't sort of sit and sort of just honor that Superman died. You got to move on because you got to get to the man of Superman. So I, I'm, I'm it's a uh, seventy-minute movie. Yeah, but again, it's just. But still, though, if you when you continue on, though, you just you end on a different note than the note that you kind of want. So I'm, I'm glad in this one that you're able to just sort of like have him die and sort of honor basically well, he died and how does the world feel about that, and then sort of tell the next day or whatever the next month or whatever in a whole different movie. So. 
obviously the movie's going to focus on Superman, on Lois Lane, on Doomsday, but talk about how important it is to also integrate other characters, like the Wonder Woman character, the Batman character as well, into a movie like this. You know, I mean, I think it's... Um, obviously, they're less important, right? Because, again, it's, it's like... Obviously, it's important to kind of know that they're firmly a part of their lives, you know. But again, I think beyond that, that's it, you know. Because again, it's just like I, I think it's difficult. And again, this is just my opinion creatively. Like, I think about like the X Men movie, you know. Like, um, I appreciated that they only focused on, you know, uh, Rogue and Wolverine mainly, and that all the other people were just sort of touched upon. Right. You know, that okay, that I, I agree with that philosophy. Like. To me, I think movies that are trying to put equal stuff on everybody, even though they're not necessarily important to the movie, I think it just makes the movie weaker. You That's know? the key, yeah. yeah. So again, I think in this case, I think they're there enough that you get a sense of their relationship, you get a sense of who they are, their personality. And even in the fight, again, I wanted to make sure they got their moment. <laughs> Uh, before they got decimated. Because <laughs> you um, see the cast list come out and you go, okay, so Batman's yeah. in it, Wonder Woman's in it. Right. Are they gonna, is it going to try and get forced in there a little bit more? And, there, and there's a danger in that. I'm yeah. glad you took that perspective. Right, right. So, um, you know, uh, Wonder Woman arguably, I don't want to spoil it too much for you, but Wonder Woman arguably has a relationship because they used to go out. You know, right. right. And so she definitely has her moment. I think you're going to be like, man, she's a, she's a badass, you know. Um, but still, it's about Superman. You know what I mean? So, um, I don't know. I, I think it's pretty emotional, you know? And so, uh, I hope you guys think so, too, when you see it, so. Without asking you to make any formal announcements or anything like that, mm -hmm. um, for future projects, what's something that you really wish that you could get working on at some point? You know, it's a... It's... It's tough, again, it, it kind of goes back to the whole thing again, like, you know, being a fan. Things, you know, I mean, there's things that I like, just personally, you know. And then there's a thing that basically people, you know, it's a business and what audiences want, you know. But, um, you know, I, I, a long time ago, anyways, like, Lauren Montgomery and I were the two sort of rotating directors, you know, who she is, right? She's the, yeah, Voltron and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Uh, we were we were the two rotating directors on it, and we were we were joking about how just what we like, right? Like she's a big Aquaman. She's like nobody wants to see Aquaman, <laughs> you know. Oh, and this yes. is in the, this is early two thousand, mid two thousands, you know what I mean? Um, before the, all the movies, these the DCs, whatever these these movies have come out. So again, Aquaman was a joke, you know, back in the day. <laughs> and so she's just like, I want to do Aquaman, you know what I mean? And so for me, I'm just like, you know, I love the Virgo stuff. I was just like, if you know, I know everybody always asks for Superman and Batman and Flash and all this kind of stuff, but again, the stuff that I like and the stuff that she liked, we were just joking about how, like, you know, people really knew who was behind all this stuff, whatever, they'd probably be like, we should probably get these guys out of here, you know? Well, Nightfall and Kingdom Come just throw it in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we gotta take it. Okay, come on. Thank Thanks, you very guys. much. Thank you. Thank you. So after that, um, Jeffrey Taylor and I went over to see the the movie, which which was fun. I was very very overtired, so fidgety because like these long convention days, it makes it hard when it's time for me to sit still because like I'm I'm overtired. So like Jeffrey had to tell me to like stop shaking my leg, but it was a very very well done movie. Um, I didn't like the first act so much, but like once they got to like the Doomsday fight, like. It was very faithful in some ways to the story, while obviously it largely deviated in others. Um, I'm not going to do a, a full review on it now because I don't want to divert too much from, like, you know, 
the Comic Con look back. I mean, I'll spend more time talking about the cell phone guy than I will, like, you know, my actual review of the movie, I guess. But that was, uh, it was a great movie. And I like, you know, they had Cress Williams, aka Black Lightning, as, you know, uh, John Henry Irons, you know, which is cool. And, uh, uh, even though you don't hear him talk in this movie, like in the sequel, the guy who plays Jerome, Cameron Monaghan, he plays, he, he's going to be playing Superboy, so... Uh, yeah, how did you find that out? Because I, I looked that up. Oh, uh, I don't remember where that was announced, but, you know... <laughs> uh, th- this movie seeded, like, all of the other Superman. Um, in, uh, like, like uh, for the reign of the Superman. Yeah, they, 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 there's, there's a scene with John Henry Irons, there's a scene with Danny Donovan in the, in the clone... There is Hank Henshaw, and then there's, like, the Kryptonian. Because I don't actually know the, the Riker's deal besides Rebirth. So, like, you see Eradicator in, like, science or whatever. So, great movie. While that was happening, what were you up to, Donovan? Well, when you got... I, 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 I wanted to see the movie, and I eventually did see the movie, and I very much enjoyed the movie. But what I wanted to do was go to this... Um, panel, because, and I know that Dustin's mentioned before, there's the, um, the Arkham Sessions is a podcast done by Dr. Andrea Letamandi, I believe her name is, and she had a panel with Lauren Lester, and they were talking about, like, uh, Dick Grayson, the psychology of Dick Grayson in the animated series, and Lauren Lester's been very new to these kind of conventions, like, the first time we ever saw him, and we, we've been seeing Kevin Connery for years, but the first time he showed up was for Batman and Harley Left. <laughs> Excuse me, last year, and um, so he was at this year, and I was very interested <laughs> in seeing that. What's up? Oh, no, I'm laughing because you were like, because <laughs> I was remembering our interview with him at Batman and Harley, where I was like, "Where have you been?" <laughs> yeah, yeah I was like, "Where have you been?" Yeah, but like, um, <laughs> and uh, he tried to warn us about Batman and about Nightwing and Harley, but but we didn't listen. Um, but but this was really cool, and like uh. I mean, I'm pretty sure this is probably recorded. I didn't record this, but like I remember texting Stella that like I was enjoying this and how she taught. Uh, Andrea Lamonti has a very. Have you ever listened to that podcast, The Arkham Sessions? I haven't. No, I've listened to a few episodes, and they go pretty deep into it. And like having gone over the whole uh, series, she talked about like, you know, old wounds and Robin's reckoning and stuff, and kind of just how why. Bruce and Dick group the kind of way they are and how they're different, how they're similar. And Lauren Lester, who uh, just hasn't changed a bit in terms of his voice, it was it was, it was just a, it was, that was totally like an adolescent fan thing that I really wanted to be at. Like as much as I enjoyed um, the Superman press, and, and as much as I wanted to see that film, because I, really, I really did, because I've liked these films lately. Um, that was something that I was not going to miss, even though Lauren Lester would show up the next day at BJS. Um, so yeah, I, I, I very much enjoy that. Yeah. He, he, he's still like someone who's like, doesn't show up to a lot of these things. So it's like, it's still a novelty when we see him, like, like Kevin Conroy, like when he was at like the, you know, Lego DC villains thing, like 10 years ago, I would have been like, Oh my gosh, I'm finally meeting them. But I see him like multiple times at all these conventions, like not to be like, it's not a thrill to see him because it always is a thrill. But I mean, it's like Lauren Lester, he's still new enough to these things that like when he goes to something like we want to like go and see what he has to say because he hasn't made a lot of appearances before. Is that an accurate way of putting it? Yeah, because I mean, th- th- this would have literally been like the second time I've ever I've seen him. Uh, yeah. And this is a panel. But like, you know, I I mean, I love Dick Grayson. And, and honestly, Lauren Lester probably has a lot to do with that because like he is the voice I hear when I th- when I when I when I read Nightwing. 
when I when I read Dick Grayson. Like, granted, it depends on the era. Like, if I'm reading like Silver Age, I hear like the Superman's voice, and I'm, if I'm reading like Teen Titans, I'll, re- I'll hear like Scott Mendel. But generally, if I'm reading Nightwing or like older Dick Grayson, Lauren Lester is my Nightwing voice. Like, he's he's to Dick Grayson what Kevin Conroy is to Bruce Wayne. So that's why I make time for him because I I hold him in that regard. So after that, we went out uh, to have some pizza, pizza with uh, Jeffrey Taylor. And the and, Turtles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Ninja Turtles joke. Uh, people who, like, haven't been following us for years, they, they probably missed so many references. Because, unfortunately, if you put me in a room with Donovan, like, we're going to make, like, six references and, like, to, to something obscure from, like, the 90s show within, like, a, a minute. It's been... Um, yeah, Jan's over- complained about that when she would listen to the show. Yeah. It's it's been over an hour and uh, and and I have not made one homeless cop reference. So uh. <laughs> because they were there this year. The, the, well, Davima Zaus was, but like he was like doing a TV guy panel and um, he um, and he was doing like promotional stuff, like like with like uh, the bigger outlets were like doing on camera interviews with him. I did try and get like a spot with him, but um, the um, the the publicity people forgot them, like said that he was all booked up for Comic Con. But I, I know that you bumped into him, though, at one point. When I left um, BTS, he, I saw him walking across the hallway. Because what was he there for? Like, like was he there like, like, like to be on anything, or was he just kind of hanging out? He was on the TV Guide panel, like, about... And then he was he was just doing random interviews, and I guess hanging out. Um, so, but, but the TV Guide panel was, like, the only panel he was at. Because there was actually a long back and forth about if Gotham was going to uh, have a presence at the convention, which we, we, we talked about with Lisa Gregorian a little bit, where, like, they accidentally put Gotham on the program when it wasn't meant to be on the program, and it, like, confused a lot of people, and then they took Gotham off. And then, like, they did another press release where Gotham was like, we're going to show you brand new footage from, like, Gotham. And I said, that's not right. Gotham doesn't even start filming until the Monday after the convention. So I, like, emailed Warner Brothers. Uh, that's not right. And, and then, like, the Warner Brothers, like, guy uh, said to me, you're absolutely right. <laughs> we screwed it up again. Shoops. And then, like, comicbook.com, like, posted an article, like, brand new footage of Gotham at Comic-Con. And I was like, did you get – this took me, like, ten minutes to fact check, but I, I digress. Comicbook.com is another story <laughs> altogether. So that's Friday. And that's also the end of this episode of the podcast. But wait, there's a few more days in San Diego, you might be saying. You've got some nerve. Well, this is the longest San Diego Wolfpack podcast we've ever done because we have more audio than we've ever had before. So instead of giving you an almost 10-hour podcast or however long it would be, we decided to split this up into two parts. So come back to the Batman Universe Specials feed check out our San Diego Comic-Con coverage for Saturday and Sunday. See you there.